I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the Republic for which it stands, under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The my pillow guy. And you're looking good. He's still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever. My pillow 2.0. When I invented my pillow, it had everything you'd ever want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. My pillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature regulating thread. My pillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of my pillow. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a my pillow or not, you need to get the brand new my pillow 2.0. Call or go to mypillow.com now. Use your promo code and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better and cooler too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit mypillow.com. It's time to resist. They can't arrest us all. And they can't keep all your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and feckless bureaucrats. We can simply say no. Not again. The only way to stop these mandates is to refuse to comply, refuse to show vaccine passports, refuse to wear a mask, refuse to stay at home. We will not comply with Fauci. We will not comply with Joe Biden. And we will not comply with authoritarian governors. I am not going to comply. This ends now.
I had a dream the other night. I didn't understand. A figure walking through the mist with a rifle in his hand. His clothes were torn and dirty as he stood there by the bed. He took off his three-cornered hat and speaking low, he said, We fought a revolution to secure your liberty. We wrote the Constitution as a shield from tyranny. For future generations, this legacy we gave to make you the land of the free and home of the brave. The freedoms we secured for you, we thought you'd always keep. But tyrants labor endlessly while your parents were asleep. Now your freedom's gone. Your courage is lost. You're no more than a slave in your land of the free and home of the brave. You buy permits to travel, permits to own a gun, permits to start a business or build a place for one. On land you think you own, you pay your yearly rent. But you don't have a voice in saying how that money's spent. Now your children attend a school that doesn't educate and your Christian values can't be taught according to the state. You read about your current news in a regulated press and pay more taxes than you owe to that thing called IRS. Your money's no longer made of silver or of gold. You trade your wealth for paper so your life can be controlled. And you pay for crimes that make your nation turn from God in shame. Now you've taken Satan's number and traded in your name. You give your government control to those who could do you harm so they could padlock churches and steal the family farm and keep the nation deep in debt while putting men of faith in jail and then harass your fellow countrymen while your corrupt courts prevail. Your public servants don't uphold the solemn oath they've sworn. And now your daughters visit doctors so their children won't be born. You send guns and artillery to foreign shore, and then you send your youth to slaughter, fighting other people's wars. Could you regain the freedoms for which we fought and died, or have you lost your courage and your faith to stand with pride? Are there no more values for which you fight to save? Or do you wish your children to live in fear and be a slave? And people of this republic, it's time to rise and take a stand. Defend the Constitution, the supreme law of your land. Preserve your great republic and every God-given right. And let us pray to God to keep that torch of freedom burning bright. Do you hear the people sing, singing the 
Broadcasting live and live to Patriot Control of America. You're listening to the Patriot Party Podcast. Now on the show, the chair is against the wall. The muskrat jumps over the berm. I know why you're here, Neil. I know what you've been doing. I know why you hardly sleep. Why you live alone and why night after night you sit at your computer. You're looking for him. I know because I was once looking for the same thing. And when he found me, he told me I wasn't really looking for him. I was looking for an answer. It's the question that drives us, Neo. It's the question that brought you here. You know the question, just as I did. Trail apocalyptic hieroglyph Try to riff, wind up stiff Find a spliff, smoke it Light the fire, turn it high Burn the wire, work for high Your desire, dire stakes get broken Colonize, gentrify Do or die, simplify Simplify sympathy Call him all symphony Cold chilling, top billing Body count, cop killing Supervillain rivalry Mighty arch nemesis March from the genesis To the omega Hit the bodega Arm, legger, legger Arm, head, mega Shine like mega Black hole, supernova Super lover, Casanova Golden era, terror Golden child, wildin' Reservoir, canine Clans from the highland Syndicate assassin Heartbeats, bionic Ancient, masonic Sons of Mantronic The culling is coming Grab your guns Stack cash funds Fathers teach your sons When politicians talk Assume they're lying Living on your knees Much worse than dying The culling is coming Grab your guns Stack cash funds And teach your sons When politicians talk Assume they're lying Living on your knees Much worse than dying Smartphone, spy drone, microphone, Godstone, Home Alone, Al Capone, Skull and Bone, Pterodome, Satellite, Socialite, Neophyte, Troglodyte, Out of Sight, Parasite, Chocolate White, Canaanite, Satanic, Vatican, Tyrannic Architect, Organic Archetype, Volcanic Dialect, Titanic Visual, Ironic Imagery, Iconic Ritual, Bionic Symmetry, Sacred Mathematical, Live from the Tesseract, Surgically Tactical, Spine of a Silverback, Sign of the Zodiac, Megalo, Maniac, Cardiac, Heart Attack, Talking Red, Walking Dead, Zombified, Columbine, all the time, Press Rewind, Raise the Flag, Black it out, Blood the Hood, Crack it out, On the News, Keep it Quiet, Sell the Lie, Make them buy it, Make a trial, Start a riot, Find the threat, Pacify it, Culling is coming, Grab your guns, Stack cash funds, Fathers teach your sons, When politicians talk, Assume they're lying, And living on your knees, Much worse than the culling is coming, grab your guns, stack cash funds, and teach your sons, when politicians talk, assume they're lying, living on your knees, much worse than dying.
fuckers to another edition of true spiracy true spiracy number 65 mm-hmm. the culling as we've called it um and yes that was everlast who knew that everlast was a right-wing conspiracy theorist hmm. Hmm. didn't know that did you mm-hmm. now you do yep so you are i am the mick and of course with me is my much better beloved better half v lynn hello everyone much better for, better to look at too hmm. either way welcome it's oh, Sunday. More volume. Sunday. More volume. More volume. That's weird. It is Sunday. We've never been told more volume. There we go. More volume. That's better. It's odd. Huh. I've been told to shut the fuck up and turn my volume down. Well, yeah. All right, Def. Okay. Volume is there. Hope you can hear me now. So, anyway, yes, the culling. The culling, babe. The culling. Yeah. So. What is the culling, babe? Let's get straight to it. There are two cullings. Well, what is a calling? Let's just explain what the basic definition of a calling is. A calling is a uh, essentially a mass genocide, a, a killing off of a large number of a population. Okay. Okay. The useless eaters. Essentially, yeah. Okay. Okay. We've been experiencing, and while well, we are currently experiencing a calling of man by man, Soon we'll experience a calling of man by God, but we're not going to talk about that today. Not much anyway. One causes the other. Let's just put it that way. But wait there, a minute. I, th- I thought there was no. What? I, I thought you couldn't. <clears throat> I thought we couldn't do that in science. What's that? What you just said. I thought you couldn't say that oh, one, one causes, causes the, other? the other. Causational uh, causational spatiality. This is... isn't science. This is knowledge. <laughs> I, I'm just busting balls. I know. Because that actually causes the causational paradox that actually so, rips apart it. Look. If one causes the other. There's been a lot of talk lately. Again, it's been coming back up. You know, Rand Paul referred... Uh, Fauci to the DOJ for lying to Congress in their origins of COVID bullshit hearings. Why do I say it's bullshit? Because it is bullshit. It is bullshit because they've been discussing whether or not it came from a zoological poof, right? A, a, A bat fucked a pangolin and someone ate the result. Like, and if if you okay. if you heard our original or, episode on this almost three years ago, both me and me Janet Janet were both in agreement that that would take close to a thousand years for anything like that to happen. Yeah, that's an, a, a, more like a billion years. That's not an option. That's yeah. that's not that's, that's not even close. Not it's out of the realm of possibility. Okay, this was not a zoological catastrophe exactly okay so then the question is obviously it was we know that it was made by man the question is to what end was it released accidentally or was it released deliberately okay okay so this has to do with the culling hell well you know what let's get to that well how about you just go over the basic definition of what a culling is i already did Okay, a reduction of the population by yeah. what means? By any means available. So why is, so like most people ask this question, mm-hmm. why are humans trying to call other humans? Well, that's a great question. 
And we've talked about that a lot, that there's this elite class that thinks they're better than everyone else. And they, they consider us to be useless eaters and we are using their resources. I mean, it would be beyond me to ask why God would call the human race because that's his deal. That has nothing to do with us, Mm -hmm. but why humans would do it to other humans is what is confusing because if there's, all right, so let's, let's examine a couple of things here. For instance, when we talk about like viruses and bacteria, what is the number one thing for a virus to do? Hey, it wants to stay alive. Reproduce. Yeah. Reproduction is most important for a virus. Mm-hmm. So for it to stay alive, it has to reproduce within your body. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it can't kill you. Oh, 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 don't get me wrong, baby. The COVID-19 itself, the virus was not the calling. No, 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 no. I know that. I know that. But hold on. Listen. Okay. It can't kill you but it has to live with you. And much like a virus, humans are the same way. We have a reason on this earth, although no matter what the leftists are trying to tell you these days, our job on this, our job on this planet is to reproduce. That is our primary job. No matter what the left tries to tell you, that is your primary job. When the left takes that away from us, they're taking another thing away from God. Realize that realize when they stop, when women stop reproducing, that's a job God gave them said, we entrust you to bring forth life on the world. Didn't give that to men. Pretty soon the, the population of the UK, it's already below the sustainable birth rate uh, population. The birth rate has dropped to 1.58 in the UK. Uh, It's, it needs to be 2.1 to sustain a population. So very soon the UK will go the way of Japan. Right now, Japan is seriously declining and you'll have to either bring in immigrants to sustain your economy and your way of life uh, just in order to keep your workforce up or, which is already happening, or um, you'll have to go without, without essential services, without people to do the things that they normally do. And you lose a lot of knowledge base in that as well. So realize that's like resetting a population. Correct. Because you're changing the consistency of the population to an extent in which the consistency of that population is not prepared to handle. For instance, it's it's exactly what you are seeing going on right now in France. Mm -hmm. That is... what they call population genocide basically could be because what you're doing is you're overriding the current population that exists there, bringing in migrants from all over the world. And you're basically destroying the the population that lives there. And in turn, what's going to happen is you're not going to have any population that lives there anymore. The original population is going to move out. Or die off. Or die off. One of the two. So... However, there's also been a lot of talk about whether this was incompetence, bungling, you know, there's so much incompetence. They're all so stupid, right? Every side side says it about the other side. But understand, where we listened to Dr. Tess Laurie read that poem the other night, no mistakes were made, none at all. They did not expect the virus to kill a lot of people. Everything that they did driving up the numbers was all done deliberately. 
It was all done with the goal of getting jabs and arms. That was always the end goal. It was always about compliance. It was never about killing people right now. It's about compliance. It's about seeing how many of the sheep actually take to the trough. And it's about how many people actually put on a mask, how many people went out and got a jab, how many people went and did this. When you were told to do this, when did you turn in your guns? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that shit hasn't happened in the States yet. Ain't gonna. So if you don't believe me, let's go back to 2009. Dr. Rima LeBeau, if you're not familiar with, familiar with Dr. Rima LeBeau, she's actually been popping up and speaking out again a lot lately with everything going on, everything that exactly what she predicted. Um, she did an interview with Jesse Ventura and the original Alex Jones uh, back in 2009. Before Jesse went off the wagon wheels a medical tyranny being set up not just in the united states but worldwide under the u.n and the world health organization who's behind all this the bilderberg group they want a planetary dictatorship so they can carry out their forced depopulation agenda and they want to do it through the medical system and that's why vaccines are so important and i've got an insider i think you should really talk to dr rima labo but she doesn't live inside the united states because she's so concerned about all the police state developments that are taking place as soon as you and I finish, You're out I'm here. leaving the country again. Why? Because in a very short time, not today, not tomorrow, but very soon, we'll be facing compulsory vaccination under the mistaken term of voluntary vaccination. Well, first of all, let's start with the fact that the World Health Organization has decided that we have 90% too many people. The World Health Organization has been working since 1974 on vaccines to create permanent sterility. They will induce a pandemic using the nasal mist vaccine, which is a live attenuated virus. That means that if I take it, I can infect you. You're going to get the flu. Everybody around us is going to get the flu. Then the United States government, based on their statements that they've already made, will say, oh my, we have a pandemic. Oh my goodness, we don't have enough doses. So we'll admix squalene at the 90,000 injection stations that the Department of Health and Human Services announced that they will ship the vaccines to. People lining up, sometimes by the hundreds, for an H1N1 flu shot. This show aired one time, and it was deleted and taken off TiVos. Yeah. So that's just a clip from the show. She also talks about how she was a doctor to the elites. And one day, one of the a, a head of state said to her, it's almost time for the culling. I'm sure you guys have all seen that clip before. It's almost time for the culling. It's time to get rid of 90% of the population. 10% hmm. of the population left to serve the elites with AI technology doing the majority of the manual labor. Yep. So, but I'm not playing the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, it did show on a really random UK channel. It showed very randomly like once and then it was gone. It got taken off.
but that's not really what we're going to get into today. That was just a precursor. Okay. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dr. David Martin. I have to say Dr. David Martin is actually probably one of my favorite people and I've met him in person. We both have, right? He's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. And I've met a lot of really smart people. And he seemed, he seems very standoffish at first. And he, he explains why actually in this, um, this is not a side of Dr. David Martin that you've really ever seen before, unless you've seen this particular interview, which is brand new, but he lays it all out. So hold on to your hats because, uh, I'm going to let Dr. David Martin lay out all the facts for you and prove to you that every single little bit of this has been planned since before you and I were born. Probably most of the people on listening to us right now were born. Shit's about to get weird. Get ready. Hope you got some smoke. Exactly, Lindsay. Standoffish people might just be assessing the situation. That was... Well, you'll see. This is um, London Real. Maybe, maybe we should smoke first before we get into this. Because this is two hours long. And I know we're just getting started, but we, we might need to be high to, to watch this. Okay. Because it's pretty fucking holy shit. You want to get high? So, hold you on. Wanna? Let me, let me. Look, no, 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 no. I already asked the question. Yes. I, I definitely want to get high. You better get moving going fast. And, you better start uh, moving. get high with us. So, fine. Anyway, three, two, one. The new number is. Get ready if you got it. We'll get high before we do this. It'll it's not fun. really craziness, Claire, so much as putting all the puzzle pieces together, right? And a lot of people haven't done the research that Dr. David Martin has done or been able to connect the dots in a way that he has. And there's a lot of infiltrators. <coughs> you all know about that. Pointing people in wrong directions. Right? They they point you in a right direction and then but but it's not really the right direction. It's like you have two paths, right? And you're going down one path, but there's a little branch off here. And you think that that's the faster way to get to the end, but in reality, it brings you back to the path that you don't want. Don't spill it. You know, I watched the... Uh, I watched the interview that Josh did with Dr. Shiva. Took me a while to watch it. Took me a while to get through it. And it's not that long. It's only an hour and a half. And I texted Josh and I said, uh, well, damn, that escalated quickly. When did Dr. Shiva become such a black-pilled, condescending dick? He's very bitter. And what I learned from that interview about Dr. Shiva himself... Other than being a anti-Trumper? Well, well, some of that. 
and I, don't get me wrong, you had a lot of great information, a lot of great facts, and a lot of it lines up with what Dr. David Martin's going to tell us. However, I think Dr. Shiva wanted to be a part of the elite, mm-hmm. and he was rejected. See, that's the scary part, is that there's people that... When he's bitter about Like, for it. instance, everybody was talking this morning, I watched all the... Uh, morning news sunday morning news shows one of the things i saw was uh, i'm sure you've all seen the vic ramaswamy has got 10 percent now in the polls he's beating like joe or pence and everybody else um he jumped real high he's one of those guys that His wanted interview. to be a part of the, mm-hmm. the elites oh, no, and no, notice no, no, how no. he he didn't get interviewed by tucker no yes he did did he oh yes he did and his interview was excellent oh was it oh it was it he said all of the right things his interview was perfect yeah. too much well so. we're well rehearsed too much so yep and i have it saved but yeah vivek is a total show vivek is yep a part of the elites. So that's what you guys, and he's one of the infiltrators. One of several. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, when the FBI knocks on your door, what do we tell him? Nah, nope. Nah, Either way, Vivek is a, he is a shell. We've known that for a while, for a hot minute. So he is a WEF stooge. He's been there. It's not been a big secret, but the fact that he's up 10% in the polls is no big deal. I, I just look at it. Okay. Trump's beating now Biden by like 15 points, which is pretty substantial this early on in the race, because that's a hard, that's a hard hole to cl- climb out of. However, he's not running, so it doesn't matter. I mean, in all honesty, we all know that he's not running. He doesn't even have a staff. He doesn't even have an office. Get the fuck out of here. So Vivek is trying to make that a big secret, though, because he scrubbed all of that from the internet, scrubbed it from his website, Um, had it removed from the WEF forum website. How do you have that done? Unless Hmm. you got some ins. Correct. And then he said that he he pulled a, a Tulsi Gabbard. Yes, he was a, a WEF Young World uh, Young Global Leader in 2021 for specifically for climate change. He used to be a Democrat, and that's been removed. Yeah. So, um, and then, but he said he pulled a, a Tulsi, and he said, "Oh no, they they put that on there without my knowledge or consent." Bullshit. Yeah. A hundred percent bullshit. You sign that document the first day you get there, mm-hmm. I believe. So, um, yeah, no, that's 100% bullshit. So he's he's definitely an infiltrator. He's a 1,000%. I do not trust him at all. Um, and, uh, of course, one of his companies, as soon as the whole COVID thing, you know, he was promoting masks and I believe PPE. even jabs at PPE. And one of his companies... Uh, invested in the lipid nanoparticle that they use in the jabs. So no. Yep. No, he's deep into big pharma. So, um, and I think maybe Dr. David Martin gets into a little bit of him too. All right. Well, let's so, let yeah. go. All right. Let's watch. Now we're smoked up. We're yes. good. We're ready. We're ready. Let's go deep. Guest today is Dr. David Martin, the American author, professor, and researcher. You are the founder and CEO of MCAM, which provides research and advice to over 160 countries regarding finance, patents, and trades. 
You were the central figure in the documentary film Plantemic 2, which we live streamed here on our digital freedom platform to over 2 million viewers, the largest live broadcast of a documentary film in history. In the movie, you exposed the elaborate web of deception and lies by governments, corporations, and regulators that caused the COVID-19 pandemic. And you also appear in the latest installment, Plandemic 3, The Great Awakening. Ultimately, you believe COVID was a pre-planned act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race. And you said exactly that in the European Parliament during the recent International COVID Summit in Brussels, David, Welcome back to London Real. I am so happy to see you, Brian. It's great to be here. And um, man, what a beautiful suit you've got on. <laughs> well, that's some great things never change. <laughs> well, that's a beautiful tie. And the man that consistently pulls off the bow tie is a strong <laughs> man indeed. Um, we'll definitely get you over to London and we'll go down to Savile Row and maybe you can teach me a thing or two. How's that? There you go. <laughs> uh, David, I couldn't be more excited to speak to you. I just uploaded a 20 minute piece of you speaking in front of the EU. And I highly recommend everybody go watch that when we're finished. I think it's probably the single most important, most prescient, most potent, potent description of the entire pandemic. And you break down everything that you've been talking about for you know 20 plus years. And you take us yeah. all the way back to 1965 when this whole thing started. And, you know, I had a couple flashbacks back to Plandemic 2, but you, you didn't go all the way into it in Plandemic 2 because it was probably so much information and it was early days. But what you said recently in front of the EU, along with the emotional content, for me, it's the most powerful thing I've seen in years. And I was curious, how would you describe, you know, what you said? Because I think the average person watching us right now has no idea of the detail that you can break down as far as the traces of what happened to us the last few years? You know, Brian, a lot of people have asked how I do research. And in the case of not only the coronavirus situation, but in the case of anthrax and in the case of conotoxin, in the case of an enormous number of other things, including the Ebola campaign during the mid 2010s, the difference between what a lot of people do and what I do is I watch the thing as it unfolds. You made reference in the opening to the fact that we advise 160, right now, 168 countries. What I receive inside of our corporate structure is the innovation disclosures, contracts, records of procurement, all kinds of things. And that goes into the Cuisinart of our data. It's how we make our global equity indexes that are traded. It's, you know, it's how we, how we do our business. And so we don't look for things. We actually have a system that flags things. I can set flags for all sorts of things. I can set flags for violations of laws. I can set flags for all sorts of, of uh, either themes or content or actors or whatever. And, and in the early 2000s, and a lot of people don't know this, but in the early 2000s, when we were asked to look into the anthrax outbreak, which most people don't even remember. I mean, when, when we talk about September 2001, everybody thinks about planes and towers. But the global fear in September of 2001 and the thing that was exploited to pass what ultimately became the PrEP Act in 2005 was the anthrax outbreak that allegedly happened at the end of the month. 
and and because of the cognitive dissonance of did planes really fly into towers, people forget that the real terrorist attack was actually anthrax. And the problem about forgetting that is people also forget that several years after the alleged investigation, we were able to definitively and unequivocally and without censorship say the United States Department of Defense attacked America. There you go. It's not hard. And and the problem right, is by the time that statement was made, kind of like UFOs are real, gender isn't real, all of the crazy other things that people say, the the problem is by the time you get to the conversation where people admit, oh, my gosh, the U.S. really did anthrax to itself. People have forgotten the story. And, and so in many respects, COVID is amnesia 2.0. That's what, how we should describe it, because because this was another U.S. did it to itself. Right. And, and the Wall Street Journal just this past week. And this part cracked me up through this amazing FOIA request, which allegedly was something they fought long and hard for. You know what they found? What you and I talked about nearly three years ago. But if you're looking for the who done it as a forensic investigator versus you're observing the crime as it unfolds, you have two very different perspectives. And what I really did at the EU Parliament is said, hey, slow the tape down. Let's get let's get all the facts on the table. Coronavirus, COVID-19, the whole thing was premeditated. It was murder. It was active terrorism by a state against the world. Let's call it what it is. And let's not pretend like maybe there's a more complex explanation for, I don't know, the facts. And the facts are, here's the bad news. For 58 years, the United States, the UK, in collaboration with researchers around the world, planned to use coronavirus to instill the most tyrannical, reform of society that this generation has ever seen. And they did it purely premeditated to make sure that we were cowed into submission. And the bad news for them is there's a lot of people that didn't take the knee. It's just incredible when you start going through the dates, you know, and take maybe just take us back to some of these dates, 1965, 1967, 1990, where these yeah. events, and when you do it, it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion. And again, the beautiful thing about your work in Pandemic 2 is that there was no emotion, there was no opinion, it was all facts. It was right. published documents where you can literally show, and as you walk us right up to 02 and right us up to 2020, you literally have specific mentions about exactly what's gonna happen that yeah. document what you just said. Cause a lot of people will hear what you just said and be like, okay, here's another one who's a little, who's making these claims, but you can document every yeah. single thing you're saying. Well, and not only can I, in the EU parliament speech, I actually put every single reference in. There's not a single thing I said that's not referenced with the source document behind it. So you can read it, do, do it yourself, go read it, read the document, draw a different conclusion. But let's go back to 1965 because it's important to do this. And remember that 1965 is only a few years, less than two decades, from when we even had the idea of what DNA and RNA even were. Remember, it's 1953 that we figure out DNA. So 
you know, when I talk about 1965, we're talking about a 12 year old technology that we don't even understand where researchers in the United States started guessing that this thing that they decided to call coronavirus was interesting because they actually saw it associated with people that had various kinds of colds and influenza like illness and so forth. And they also found out that you could play around with it and get it to change its targets really quickly, which is a really interesting kind of, is that a good thing to know? Is that a bad thing to know? It sounds like gain of function research, but, but what happened between 1965 and 1967 was a violation of at that time in the UK, Nuremberg standards, and in the United States, a violation of our biological and chemical weapons laws dictated in section 18 of the U S code. What specifically we did was we took what was allegedly pathogen samples from the United States and in 1967 and in 1968, we infected Britons who were healthy. Just let that chill just for a minute, like like a rosé on a hot summer afternoon, right? That's a that's a oh, my God, what did you just say? I said it. We broke the law. We knew that we had something that made people sick. We shipped it from the United States to the United Kingdom and the United Kingdom infected British citizens with a U.S. pathogen, allegedly to see if we could do it. Now, by the by the way, in 1967 and 1968, nobody in Great Britain was sitting there going, I wonder if we've got a treatment for it. They were first trying to see if they could infect people with the thing, right? That's kind of an important point to make because the waiver of biological and chemical weapons laws in the United States and the waiver of the Nuremberg standards in the UK are based on whether you're doing research for the purpose of benefiting therapies, not seeing if you can infect people. And this is one of those little nuances that if anybody bothered to read the law, they'd go, Oh, my God, what he's saying is actually true. We can research for the purpose of treatment, but we cannot research for the purpose of going. What if we can take a biologic sample from the United States and make people in the UK sick? And that's 1967, 1968. That's not kind of, you know, a couple of weeks before COVID. That's that's before most of us were born. Not me, not you, but most of the people who are watching, this is this is this is before you. And what's important about that is if you go back and you look at the research, and this was primarily the United States and the UK, primarily, throughout the 70s, going into the early 80s, what they found was that this crazy thing that they had labeled coronavirus was engineerable to all sorts of specifications. You could make people sick. You could target different tissue. It was kind of a Darwin's grab bag of what you could do with the thing. And then in the 1980s, farmers, and specifically farmers of pigs and breeders of dogs, started realizing that this coronavirus thing that they were talking about was associated with gastroenteritis in little baby pigs and little baby dogs. And so there was a move in the 80s to see if there was a way to come up with a vaccine. And in 1990, a company that none of us have ever heard of, might start with a P, might be followed by another consonant, 
But a company that allegedly was, you know, a master of no expertise at all in coronavirus decided to patent a vaccine. And what's important about the vaccine that Pfizer patented in 1990 was it was RNA for the spike protein. So when I hear somebody come along and tell me that they had Operation Warp Speed, this rapid discovery of the way we're going to inject people in 2020, I sit back and go, hmm, warp speed. That only took 30 years of failed trial after failed trial after failed trial, which included as recently as 2018, a series of publications that said coronavirus and the vaccine concept cannot coexist and they cannot coexist because the coronavirus model had been so manipulated so contorted so subject to gain of function research that you could never get a vaccine to immunize a population against infection with this thing it would have never been possible and by the way for everybody who does the follow the science mantra the science unambiguously says in thousands of publications, proceedings and patents, vaccines do not work on coronavirus. That is the science. And by the way, nothing about COVID-19 has changed the science because we now know that every injection that was ever given to anybody failed to stop infection or transmission at all. So my little observation about the 30-year scientific history is unfortunately backed up by the fact that even this go-round, we haven't been able to immunize the population against anything. And so, Brian, the point of all of this legacy is that it was 30 years and it was Pfizer. It wasn't another company. It wasn't GlaxoSmithKline. It wasn't Sanofi Aventis. It wasn't those. It was Pfizer who had a mandate from what became World Health Organization, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Gavi, the NIAID, all of the DARPA funding. Pfizer was the lead horse in the race because they, in fact, owned the race. So is it a surprise that Pfizer is allegedly a dark horse in 2020 that comes out with this instantaneous ability to respond to something that they had 30 years of failed trials to produce and never once succeeded. You know, these are, these are things where unfortunately the evidence is self-evident. It's, it's, it's just mind blowing these facts, but it gets even better with your narrative. Walk me through say another 10 years, especially as we get up to 2002 and yeah. some of the stuff going on in Chapel Hill, because this story gets even more interesting. It's kind of like the Bible. It gets even more interesting. Yeah, well, so so 1990, we find out that dogs and pigs still get sick. And in fact, when you inject them with the Pfizer vaccine, they die. So there's that problem. And it's really unfortunate, by the way, if a side effect of a thing that's supposed to make you healthy is death, it does feel a little awkward to try to pitch it as a solution. Um, and not surprisingly, 
Anthony Fauci, because by this time, you'll recall in the 1980s, he got the the National Vaccine Injury, uh, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act passed 1986 with President Reagan. And if we go back and look at what his dream was, in fact, he stated it. He misspoke on camera. He said invariably within his career, he meant inevitably, but invariably within his career, he was going to produce a universal vaccine. He was going to try to use HIV scare back in the 1980s to be the animating impulse to get the public to fall for a universal vaccine. And he thought and researchers at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill verified that you could take the coronavirus model and use it as a vaccine vector. Now, let me unpack what that means, because a lot of people don't know what that term means. Because of the nature of the product that we call the coronavirus, and I'm not going to get into is there or isn't there. What I'm saying is the object identified as coronavirus has a series of proteins on the outside of it, which actually connect with the cell. And that instructs the cell to allow the contents of that thing to actually get into the cell. Now, what makes that particularly interesting is that because it can be so precisely engineered, if you were going to deliver another agent whether that other agent was a vaccine, whether that other agent was a therapeutic, if you were going to deliver another agent using this particle, the coronavirus model, as a way to deliver a thing was actually a plausible idea. So plausible that Anthony Fauci in the early 1990s figured out that he was going to use the coronavirus model as a vaccine for HIV. So in other words, you're going to take the coronavirus, put HIV in it, and that was going to be the vaccine. So that's a pretty dark thing I just said. I said it in a fairly light way, but it's a pretty terrifying thing when you hear what I just said. He was going to use coronavirus as the delivery agent for HIV. But there was a tiny problem. GlaxoSmithKline and others had this drug called AZT, which was being used to allegedly treat and really kill AIDS patients. And AZT had seven years of patent life left on it. So what Anthony Fauci did was he actually decided to let the whole HIV vaccine thing go on ice for a little while. Well, the seven year remaining patent life of AZT and the extortionary pricing that came with that patent came at the expense of the lives of AIDS patients. And what they did was from 19, the late 1980s, technically, up until nearly 2000. Right. 1999, they allowed AZT to run out its patent, extorting healthcare across the world, billions of dollars to kill AIDS patients. And then they decided to pick up the injection program at UNC Chapel Hill in 1999. And they funded a guy named Ralph Barrick and his collaborators at UNC Chapel Hill. And between 1999 and 2002, they developed what they called an infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. Now, if you listen to what I said about the vaccine vector, now it makes sense, right? Why do you want an infectious replication defective? Well, infectious means you want the thing to make the cell sick and you want to introduce it, but you don't want it to then propagate like the other viral models do, which says that once inside your cell, you make more of them and then they go out and they infect other people. So this idea was to build a bullet that carried a bullet inside of it. Think about it as a bunker busting round in the military. 
you have a pre-charge that blasts the thing open, and then you have a secondary charge that does the lethal work, right? Same thing, just on a very small scale. So this was a bunker buster. Coronavirus was going to be the bullet that pierced the cell wall to drop the other toxin in. And in 2002, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill patented the infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus and succeeded in making it target heart and lung tissue. Now, just let that chill for a moment again, right? Remember, we're talking about researchers that said, ah, it's making dogs and pigs sick. Let's see if we can take that same thing and see if we can target the heart. Let's see if we can target the lungs. And if you had an outstanding question in your mind, like, are these good people just misguided? Listen to this sentence one more time. Target the heart. Target the lungs. Does that sound like the place where you'd set an immunologic target? Does it sound like you'd want to go ahead and make sure that vascular tissue and respiratory tissue are your primary target? I don't know about you, Brian, but the beating of my heart and the breathing of my lungs is something that I kind of want to leave pretty unmessed with. But that's not what they did. They actually targeted the heart and the lungs, and they filed the patent on it in 2002. And what makes that particularly important is we did not have SARS 1.0. Forget 2.0. We did not have the SARS outbreak in 2003 until we had already built the bullet and started shooting it. We never had SARS. There was no such thing as COVID-1 or COVID-2. We never had those things. We had a weapon that was dispensed in a population. That's what we had. And by 2003, when the world was allegedly going to fall into the, throw the throes of all the pharmaceutical companies that were going to come up with vaccines, which, by the way, 2003, this is important. And, and every fact checker has tried to disprove this. And unfortunately, the facts are as they have been stated. In April of 2003, the CDC filed a patent on what they called SARS coronavirus isolated from humans. It took them four years to get that patent issued. It took them bribing the patent office to get it issued after the patent examiners twice rejected it as an illegal patent. All of the things I said in Plandemic 2 all of the things that are absolutely documented and all of the things that fact checkers, which by the way, is the only fact they checked out of pandemic two, got wrong. Because the facts are, if you go to the United States Patent Office record right now, you can see that everything I said is absolutely true and the original documents are absolutely there as we put in the movie. But here's the point. Two days after the CDC filed their patent, not got it, filed it. Two days later, a company called Sequoia Pharmaceuticals, company that none of us have ever heard of, nobody saw the funding for it, nobody's seen anything about it. Two days after the CDC filed a patent on allegedly discovering the gene for SARS and the entire DNA sequence that actually was the underlying alleged coronavirus isolated from humans, two days later, the vaccine patent was filed on SARS. Now, in what world could you, in the space of two days, go from allegedly identifying the existence of a thing 
to not only filing a patent on the vaccine for it, but having data on the research of the vaccine for the thing that was patented two days earlier. Now, people say, Dave, that sounds like a conspiracy theory. I'd like you to drop the word theory because it's not a conspiracy theory when it is, in fact, a criminal conspiracy. It was a criminal conspiracy. There is no question that Sequoia Pharmaceuticals could not have invented a vaccine for a thing for which a patent had only been filed two days prior. That's a conspiracy, which is a criminal conspiracy. And that involves the CDC participating in a racketeering and domestic terrorism and global terrorism exercise to release a known toxin into a population to justify the acceptance of a vaccine. Tiny problem. By 2007, it turns out Sequoia's vaccine didn't work because you know what happened when it got injected into living things? They died didn't work. But what's fascinating about this whole story is then you actually recognize that in 2005, and this is the this is the probably the the crowning achievement of the EU speech, which also fact checkers on YouTube have decided to tell me and tell everybody in the world can't be true. But it is on Ralph Barrick's downloadable CV at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill right now. You can go online, pause the video, confirm what I'm saying. In 2005, Ralph Barrick made a presentation sponsored by DARPA and the MITRE Corporation, M-I-T-R-E, the MITRE Corporation. And in that presentation, his title of his presentation was Biohacking a Coronavirus as an enabling technology for biowarfare. Now, I've been told that I'm misunderstanding, that he was really talking about coming up with treatments for a thing. Brian, I don't know for you, I don't know if the average UK listener or viewer has a hard time understanding the English language, but let me unpack something. If it was treatments for coronavirus, I wouldn't have an argument. But if you say that your speech is coronavirus, biowarfare enabling technology, I don't know which part of that phrase is creating the problem for fact checkers. Biowarfare enabling feels to me like you might be enabling biowarfare. But apparently I've got it wrong. I'm misunderstanding the innocent Ralph Barrick, who who happened to not only make that presentation, but then receive a black contract at the UNC Chapel Hill lab, which stood side by side with the NIAID to allegedly then come up with research that subject to the gain of function moratorium in 2014 was given a waiver because he was funded. So funded research got a waiver mysteriously, even though the public was told that we actually put a moratorium on gain of function research. But since he was already funded, he was getting funding. Therefore, he was allowed to keep doing it so that by 2016, he could write the following sentence. The Wuhan Institute of Virology virus one spike protein is poised for human emergence. 
let's just dial back to, I don't know, December of 2019, when allegedly we were supposed to believe that some poor schlep in a wet market in Wuhan bought a dog or a civet or a pangolin or a bat or whatever the heck they bought. And they took it home and they cooked it up and and became patient number one. Well, isn't it fascinating that in 2016, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill was so prescient, so unbelievably prescient, that they must have had a crystal ball to guess of all the places on earth where you might have an outbreak of this, this dangerous thing. Isn't it fascinating that they published and then went on several of the colleagues patented the spike protein poised for human emergence in 2016. And is there any chance that when Anthony Fauci in 2017 said to President Trump, you will have a pandemic on your watch? Is there any chance that he might have known you were going to have a pandemic on your watch? The question is, would they still have done it if Hillary had won? Mm, good point. Mm-hmm. If you adjust the timeline, what happens? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Would it have come out earlier? If they had patented it, and they were moving right along, they patented it in 2016. As if a just-in-case had dump on Trump, but would they have dumped it if Hillary were in office? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, that guarantees jabs and arms because it would be federally mandated. Yeah. Or would they have just inserted it into the flu jab and mandated that? Unbeknownst to everybody else. Exactly. Mm. Weird. Mm -hmm. Yep. But if Hillary had won, we wouldn't have had the economy that we had for four years under Trump. They had to shut down the, the economy, not just get jabs and arms, but they had to shut down the economy well yeah because everything was working exactly take money out of people's pockets um control all of us now the real question is was hillary ever supposed to win You know what's weird about that? My dad actually has a theory on this. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He said, I think I've been listening to you too long. Has he been listening to I us? Gu- I guess. Okay. He said, you know, you guys talk about this. You beat around the bush. But what if, he's like, I, and I, I don't know anything to this. I don't have anything for you on this. But what if? Remember the. Remember under Trump, what Trump did, he said one of the biggest things about Trump that my dad loved after Trump became president, because my dad didn't vote for him initially. My dad voted for him the second time, not the first time. But my dad's one of those guys that's very picky about his political choices. Anyway, one of the things he said, he said, what if he said, because, you know, when Trump came in, my dad 
does a lot with finance. He does a lot with people's taxes, this, that, the other thing. He's like, what if he came in and initially maybe he came in under one thought process. And then when he got in there, he got in the room, he got the briefing that all the presidents get. And you notice this, most presidents, we did not notice this in Trump. They turn gray almost immediately. Almost immediately their yep. hair turns gray. Because there's this briefing they get that brings them up to speed on what's really going on in the world. All the shit. Like you get everything. And my dad said, what if Trump never got that briefing? And I said, well, how does that affect anything else? He said, it affects everything because it affects how you operate as a president. He said, think about it. All of a sudden you understand where all our money's tied up at. If you don't know where our money's tied up because you never got that briefing, then you spend and you do what he did as president. What if Trump really fucked things up for the elite because he was in power for four years because he didn't get those briefings dead serious. Go back and look at it. Look at the first six weeks of the last, I don't know, six or seven since we've had color TV sitting presidents. Okay. When they enter office, they have a full head, dark hair, whatever color their hair is, it's dark. By the time they're done with their first term, there's more gray than you've ever seen your whole entire life. Mm -hmm. But the biggest turn in their personality is that day that they go in and get this briefing kind of brings them up to speed on what's really going on in the world. My dad's saying, what if that never happened? Trump never got that because he he's always noticed that presidents and he's noticed it through his life. Mm -hmm. I've noticed it through my life. Presidents that have entered office when they enter office, normally they come in full of steam, you know, young, dumb, full of cum, ready to go. And they didn't think Trump could actually accomplish what he exactly. He and then he did what he said he was going to do anyway, mm -hmm. which fucked everything up because then the economy turned around. Then the economy started working exactly as we've been told it would work. And we even felt the benefits on the low end, yeah. on the low end, everybody, we had extra money. We started a podcast. Yeah. We wouldn't have done that if we didn't have the extra money to do it. Yep. But we were like, well, we got some money just sitting in our pocket, burning a hole. Let's do something with it. And we did. What if what Trump did is immeasurable in damage mm -hmm. that they don't know how long it's going to take to clean it up and how many of us are now maybe unplugged from the matrix and we're all awake now. We're not going to fall for their bullshit. We're going to teach our kids not to fall for our bullshit, for their bullshit. They're going to teach their kids and so on and so forth. We just started generations of Americans who are never going to trust the government again. There is a huge, there is a huge movement right now of doing exactly what I've been, what I've yes. been doing. Yes. Going back to the old ways, making, you know, growing your food, making things from scratch, 
you know. We have people stop by the house all the time. Yeah. Just randomly. Yeah. I want to know more about this. Where do I look? I it it's cool. It's funny. Mm-hmm. I giggle, but the little girls next door come by. They're like, "You look like you have a farm." I do. You want to come see your way around the garden? It's great. You know. Anyway, let's see what uh. Let's continue with Dr. David Martin. I just I and this guy is a really dead end interviewer. He really sucks. Um, he I explained. Gets, he gets better after Dr. Martin gets through all of the. Right now, he is insanity. melting. Is what you're watching mm-hmm. happen on video? Yep. He's melting. Yeah, but I love it. Right, people sit there, and and this is the part where I know it's a big word, but parsimonious is a good word to look at right now. Sometimes the simplest explanation is the explanation. You know, we've spent the last three years going, no, seriously, that couldn't have, they, they, they couldn't have really planned this, right? We, we, we wouldn't have governments in collusion with this. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have the UK and Canada and, and Saudi Arabia and, and, you know, Austria and the US, we wouldn't have them all working together on this, would we? And we wouldn't have like China in on it too, would we? Well, the answer is, yeah, all of them were in on it. And every single document proves that this is not an oops, something escaped a lab. Never was and never will be. This was the United States government funding in the United States and in China, the weaponization of the spike protein associated with coronavirus for the desecration of humanity and for the disruption and ultimately the desecration of our liberties. That's what it was, period. It's it's just so hard to believe. And it's so hard to believe that they left such a blatant paper trail. I mean, you're literally quoting these specific words, intentional release, and it's there in paper. I mean. The mafia covered up better than this. I mean, most criminals cover up much better than this, probably because they worry about being prosecuted. I mean, do you ever think about this? I think this is poor. And I think, Brian, you're 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 spot on to something. And I want to remind everybody that Plato figured this out a long time ago. He said that there is a time in civilization. He used the term temple robbers and grave robbers and other things. We don't have temple robbers anymore. We have we have tyrants that are called presidents and prime ministers, but it's the same thing. But one of the points he made, and I think this is really important for us to discuss as a humanity, is that you, you're familiar with serial killers, right? Somebody kills somebody that's murder. Somebody kills a couple people. You go, wow, that's a mass shooting. There are definitely Americans. And then, and then you get to, I don't know, 10 or 15. At some point, you get to the number of deaths and you start going, I'm not outraged about this anymore. I'm fascinated with it. And sociopaths and serial killers do something almost universally, which is at some point they start leaving totems behind, right? They they leave a, a little flower or they leave a little note or they leave something that taunts the rest of the world because they're getting off on this idea that they're smarter than. And I would say that coronavirus since 19, certainly since 1967, has been that. It has been sociopaths who say, I wonder if we can get away with it. 
And that's the first murder. And then we got away with it. What if we could get away with a bigger thing? What if we could, I don't know, make a thing that made people in Asia sick in 2002 going into 2003? I wonder if, wonder if we could get people to fall for this idea of allegedly a universal vaccine. I wonder if we could do that. I wonder when we wrote the decade of vaccines in 2010 as the World Health Organization and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Dr. Chris Elias and Anthony Fauci and Dr. Gao at the CDC, a part of the World Health Organization. I wonder if we said that by September 2020, the world would have a universal vaccine in 2010. And then when we recited that to get the world to accept a universal vaccine, the same authors in September of 2019 said that to create the sense of urgency, we would have an accidental or an intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. I wonder if the same authors writing the same mandate published by the same organization across a decade, I wonder if they could possibly be serious when they say, we will conduct a global experiment with the accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. And by the way, the image that they have on the page of that is a coronavirus picture. I wonder if that might be the explanation for why COVID-19 happened. And I've been told that I'm reading into something. I'm not reading into anything. I'm reading the thing. I'm reading exactly what they said. And there is a problem when you hear the word accidental or intentional release. And the problem is the word release. That means somebody somewhere planned to distribute the thing. That's what the word release means. They did not say accidental leak. They didn't say a terrorist bad actor did biological warfare. They said an accidental or intentional release. Their words, not mine. And this is where you're exactly right. The audacity of the crime paralyzes us to go, holy shit. We are actually now living in a world where we know that eight to nine million people were murdered by the allied governments. Murdered. And we're fine with that. One day there'll be a Netflix series. There'll be this guy in a bow tie doing an investigation and people go, I wonder if that, that was inspired by Dave Martin. Listen, the whole thing is so egregious that we are paralyzed as a civilization to consider that that is what our governments have become. But the newsflash is I have actually recited their words, not my opinion. Besides the power motive, there's also that financial motive. And you yep. said something in that EU speech that was something you also emphasized. And the fact that they were saying that in order to get the, I think it was the investor's attention, you would have to oh, get yeah, the yeah. media to propagate this, to get the public to ultimately uptake the vaccine. I might be paraphrasing, but- You, you, know, you know, I'm morally obligated to quote Peter Daszak when people ask me this question, because 
if you're going to listen to the admission of the crime, it's best to get it straight from the criminal. And in late 2014, published in February of 2015, for all the fact checkers who want to fact check the statement, Peter Daszak at the National Academy of Sciences made the following statement, and I am reading it directly from his paper. Until an infectious disease crisis is very real, present, and at an emergency threshold, it is too often largely ignored. To sustain the funding base beyond the crisis, we need to increase the public's understanding for the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. By the way, that is evidence in any crown court in the world. That is premeditated murder. That is premeditated international terrorism. And it is financial racketeering in every civilized country on earth. And to date, there is not a single prosecutor who has used the admission of the crime to prosecute the crime. Nowhere. Not in Australia, not in Canada, not in the UK, nowhere in the EU. No one has used the admission of the criminal as the basis for criminal prosecution. Which part of investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process sounds to you like Johns Hopkins bullshit cover story of public health? And the answer is, it never was about public health. It was always about the money. And not surprisingly, the event 201 in October of 2019, preceding the alleged outbreak of coronavirus by two months, was funded not by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, not by the World Economic Forum, and not by Johns Hopkins University, even though their logos were listed as sponsors. The actual funding for that program was done by Dustin Moskowitz, who was Zuckerberg's co-founder of Facebook. So is it any wonder that Facebook was in on the shutting down of this message from the outset? Because the guy who wrote the check for the domestic terrorism was a co-founder of Facebook. And we don't ever hear his name. Conveniently, you can't find, except my rants, you can't find his name mentioned anywhere. Except for the fact that open philanthropy, his equivalent of the Gates Foundation, was the check writer that actually put this whole snowball in motion. Event 201 is another audacious move, which is, again, hard to even comprehend that you would stage something like that publicly, full well knowing that there was only a matter of time before this happened. Again, that is... Two, two months. <laughs> yeah. Two months. And ultimately, this then comes down to what we've witnessed of this, you know, $100 billion, $200 billion payday 
that yeah. a lot of these actors now benefit from. So yeah. it, it looks like, and I think we used to play these games a little bit on Wall Street, where in a long enough timeline, if you introduce all these random issues and volatility, and then have all these solutions as in financial products, then you just, this, you're just, it's gonna make a lot of money. Now, yeah. the exact details of when it happens or how it plays out, and maybe it's probability weighted, like you said, maybe Fauci had to wait and ride out the AZT and then it was gonna come, but you know in a long enough timeline, everybody yeah. gets paid. Is, it, is yeah. that what's happening here? Well, there's no question. I mean, remember that Pfizer had no economic interest in an animal vaccine for coronavirus, right? That, that, was, not, that was not interesting, which means that the high probability is that they were just a stooge and the wink, wink, nod, nod is, hey, do this for us, set the process in motion. And when it comes around to somebody needs to win, we'll let you be the winner. Isn't it amazing how quickly Moderna, who had never produced a single commercial product in their entire corporate history, isn't it amazing how they became a front runner to produce one of the most complex things that can be produced, which if it were a legitimate vaccine, would have been a legitimate seven to eight year process. But it turns out that what they were told to do was not to create a vaccine. What they were told to do was create a mechanism by which a biological weapon could be injected into the population. It turns out if you don't mind killing people along the way, it's a lot easier to make an effective product. It's pretty easy. But why would Moderna be even in the running? Well, the answer is really simple. If you go back and you look at the lipid nanoparticle that was the carrying agent for the mRNA, that work, which for a decade preceded in Canada with what is now Arbutus and Acuitus Pharmaceuticals, but was um, Inex and then was Tecmira and then was a bunch of other things. If you go back and you look at the history of that, you just sit there going, oh, well, Trudeau knew certainly by 2018, that an mRNA injection would be a big payday for Canada. Because it turns out that no matter who came up with the injection, everybody was going to have to use the Canadian technology of the lipid nanoparticle to deliver the thing. And so not only were these companies in licensing conversations with the Canadians, but were actually trying to get their patents invalidated so they could do it on their own, knock off the Canadian technology, which the patent office didn't go along with in the United States before any of this stuff happened, right? So go back and look at the record, right? The record is where you find the evidence. And in the evidence, you see that somewhere out of the blue, a guy who is now running as a Republican candidate for president in the United States, Vivek Ramaswamy, suddenly became interested in buying lipid nanoparticle technologies in Canada? Really? Roy Vaunt Pharmaceuticals, Inmuvant, all the Vaunt things that live under Vivek's empire. And people don't even know that a guy running for the presidential nomination in the Republican Party in the United States is a guy who profiteered on the back of the Canadian lipid nanoparticle that was injected into people to kill them. That might be. An interesting thing to point out, if you are, I don't know, interested in things like facts, that may be fascinating. And it may be fascinating to go, well, I wonder how this guy, an Indian guy, just shows up on the scene as, as, as a presidential candidate. And I wonder if he has anything to do with any of the story that has just preceded. And what I'm saying is something where, once again, 
These are just disclosable facts. You can even look up on Wikipedia, Vivek's profile, and before long you find out, oh my gosh, he really was the Arbutus Pharmaceuticals guy. He really was the lipid nanoparticle guy. He really was the guy who actually came up with this. These aren't my allegations. They're on his freaking Wikipedia page. Now, I happen to have his financial disclosures, and I happen to have a bunch of other stuff that makes it even worse. But the facts are the facts. And you're exactly right. What we have is a world where every single one of these things was a premeditated, racketeering, collusive, and ultimately genocidal campaign for commercial gain. That's it. And this is something you know well. I mean, you prosecute these cases or you research these cases on a regular basis with yeah. ma with massive payouts. You know, this is. And, and you know, the funniest thing is, Brian, <laughs> you know, for years, I used to be one of the cool kids. I was on Bloomberg and CNBC and you can go back and look. And I was the one that broke the story for CNBC on on the EpiPen pricing scandal, which, as you know, led to massive corporate shakeups, destruction of companies, destruction of careers, all sorts of things. And back then when it was Dave Martin fighting for moms that needed EpiPens for their kids, if they got stung by bees out on the soccer field, I was a hero for doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Back when it was anthrax, Chuck Schumer's office loved my contribution to the biological warfare investigations that I did in 2001, 2002, 2003. I was so popular that I was sent in 2004 as a biological weapons observer to some of the most disgusting and criminal conferences around the world to be an observer for the United States government. I was that cool. It's the bow tie. It always got me in, right? And whether it was Slovenia, whether it was Tehran, I was there at the U.S. government's request to find out what other people were doing, what they were up to. Why? Because I'm good at doing what I do. In the early 2000s, my company, MCAM, was a sole source contractor for the United States Treasury to go after white collar crime. And we took down a number of very, very, very large criminal conspiracies in tax fraud. And it turns out that I was celebrated at the time. We have congressional investigations. I was hauled before panels in Congress to talk about these complex things. All I'm doing is the same thing I've always done. The difference is singular. The media, collectively, controlled by the pharmaceutical companies and their lobbying arm, Pharma, have a financial interest in making sure that what I say is not heard. And the bummer is that now two billion people around the world have heard me. And that sucks if you've paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to try to silence me. It really sucks to find out it didn't work. And the bummer for them is, what are you going to do? Put the genie back in the bottle? Everybody knows that they're the criminals. Everybody knows it. The challenge now is, so what are we going to do about it? Which is the reason why, for example, when you ran for mayor of London and when other people get actively involved, you have the ability to start having conversations that are the right conversations to have. Because if we don't have them, They'll keep running this racket again. Three years ago, we spoke after Plandemic 2 premiered. And again, basically all of this information is in that movie, you know? Yep. 
Um, it's right there in black and white. And, you know, for me, it was so hard to watch the whole world take two or three years. And then, like you said, front page of the Wall Street Journal, and it comes out with this now confirmed evidence that this probably came from a lab in Wuhan. And I'm just like, where have you all been? Like, and again, you spelled this out for a movie that was made in August yeah. for something that basically had happened three months earlier and you had had all the data about it. Yeah. And, and spelling it out again, you know, Mickey made that movie brilliantly because there was no opinion in there. There was actually right. very little emotion in there. It was just yeah. you giving them the facts, much like you just gave to us. You were less emotional back then, I would say, a little bit. <laughs> well, I think I think what's important for people to understand is that there is, and, and it's a fair point, there is a need right now for people to realize that the bigger problem we have today than we had then. Then it was just dispassionate facts. The biggest problem we have right now is the complacency of people who think that this is over. Right. You're not wearing masks. You're not, you know, having to show a, a vaccine passport, whatever. And so they're pretty sure that we came through the storm. And my frustration is they haven't listened. Because the storm was not COVID-19. It was not SARS-CoV-2. The storm was a public sector writ large that is a criminal racketeering organization that will stop at nothing, including the murdering of its own citizens to advance a profit agenda as stated by the criminal conspirators themselves. And I am very upset that, to your point, nothing about what I've said has changed. That's the nature of facts. They don't. By the way, it's also the nature of science. I can quote a 1965 article and say that was the science in 1965. Now, does it advance? Yes. Are insights changing over time? Absolutely. But it doesn't rewrite itself, right? We can't make masks good for you one day and bad for you another day and then good for you the next day. That, that's not how the world works. That's how criminal mind control operations work. It's not how the world really works. You brought up an interesting point. The fact of the matter is, we all know in the capital markets that if you bet long enough, if you're a large corporation and you know you can influence the directions of what politicians are going to do and you know what they're going to approve, you can have a secular long bet and hold your breath for a while because you know inevitably you're going to win. Why? Because you not only stacked the deck, you built the table inside the casino you built inside the state that you legalize gambling in. The reason why you know you're going to win is you're the house. You're going to win. And that's just the nature of this particular animal. And in this case, the pharma lobby knew that just a matter of time, buy off, intimidate, blackmail enough politicians, you'll get enough of them so that when you have somebody like, I don't know, Rand Paul saying he's going to do an investigation into Anthony Fauci, Rand Paul can do an investigation, call him before Congress, have him multiply lie to Congress. And Rand Paul never in any of his cross examinations of Fauci ever has placed the October 2014 letter in front of Anthony Fauci saying your organization, Mr. Fauci, in October 2014, 
authorized the gain-of-function research to keep going at the UNC Chapel Hill, as evidenced by the letter from NIAID. And you just swore under oath to Congress that you never funded gain-of-function research. How on earth do you explain the letter from your organization that says Ralph Barrick's coronavirus research was subject to the gain-of-function moratorium? How do you explain the letter? And you know why Rand Paul won't actually do that and why no prosecutor and why no elected official, including Ron Johnson, including all of the alleged investigators who are allegedly investigating coronavirus, the reason why they will not put the evidence in front of the camera so the public can see it is simple. Fundraising. That's it. Because if the American people saw the letter I'm referring to and listened to Anthony Fauci's testimony, we've never funded gain-of-function research, where it is quite literally his letter on his letterhead saying gain-of-function research on coronavirus, which gave rise to that convenient 2016, the Wuhan virus is ready to hit the public. We would have a different conversation, but we're not having. We're going to pause this real quick because there's a really good conversation going on over here on the um, Rumble side. Um, there was a lot of talk about folks going to get in the jab. They knew the information, this, that, and the other thing. That's kind of, if you all look at this, this is kind of the cool part about this one. You can lie to yourself. You can lie to God. You can lie to every single one of us. You know what? You know what's going to happen at the end? You're still going to die. Get this. If you got the jab and you're lying about it because you're scared of the way people will react to you, well, then you're retarded. Because the whole reason she started the whole garden show on Saturday is to show you all how to get better. There are ways to do it. It requires lifestyle changes, massive lifestyle changes, things 90% of America. However, though, yet I get a picture, got a picture from Vila and just the other day from Wix who showed us a whole bunch of chickens in a coop. Fuck yeah, Wix. And a brooder. And fuck yeah. That's, that's sleeping on top of Gerby. It's very cute. Look, this is. It's simple, really simple, folks. This is going to be self-licking ice cream cone. Either they got the jab or they didn't. We're going to know. How are we going to know? Because they're going to die. The rest of us will be fine. And for those of us that got two jabs or whatever, there is a way to get better. But the first part of it is to realize that you have a problem. Mm-hmm. just saying this guy i, I and it, it wasn't done by accident no no this was none of this that's what he's showing us none of this was done by accident none of this there's not he hasn't said accident one time unless the government said it was an accident nope. so far he's reported everything that the government has said it's gonna happen this is like sex with kobe this is gonna happen Kind of gross now, but whatever. 
if you can find him. And I don't know what you're doing because holy crap. Woo. Anyway. Okay. Helicopter parts. Sparky, I don't think that Lindsay deleted your message. I've seen messages randomly delete on their own, but if someone deleted a message, it, it, it notifies would, us it and will says show us. message has been deleted by moderator and there's nothing here. I looked all the way up. So, um, I, I it keeps a, a record of all yeah. the messages and the ones that were deleted so, for purpose. I don't see anything that was, I haven't seen any mod removed yeah. messages at all. I'm actually kind of surprised because we've had some new people pop in. So, so don't go jumping on someone that it may be uh Christian. Welcome. Yeah. We've had a bunch of new people. Yes. Popping. Love it. We love it when we get new people. Mm -hmm. Jackknife. Jackknife. You're mm -hmm. a new one. Welcome. Yeah. Actually, you're probably not new. You've probably been around. Lurking. You might not have commented before. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm swearing right now, Spark. I don't see anything, dude. I don't see of a deleted message anywhere. I don't think anybody would delete a message, brother. That, no, that not, seems pretty it, fucked up. Yep. And I've had messages like half the time when I try and post from my VLink account, it, it doesn't, it doesn't go through. I, I got or a, I got a it feeling it shows up on my end, but then it doesn't actually show up in the main chat. I, I wonder if it's got something to do with our router because you're going through the same router, and I wonder if it confuses the two different accounts for one account. Maybe. I, I just wonder if it automatically deletes it because it espouses that as a, a duplicate account, a duplicate account. And as for everybody else, I, I have no fucking idea, but we've had, I've been in other chats too, where my chats don't show up. Yep. So I don't know what the fuck's going on with rumble in their chat. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, all anyway, right, moving right along back to Dr. Martin. Yes. It. Because the house wins. And that's fundraising for Rand's next campaign, which is paid for exactly by the pharmaceutical right. industry. So this is a mock trial. Again, something you're very familiar with for the last two decades, where you would exactly. investigate things, they would put people on trial and nothing ever happened. So it's a big show. And there's not a shred of justice that the public should accept, expect, because justice is not the objective. The theatrics are the ob objective, and and I can assure you that Rand Paul has used his fight with Fauci as a great fundraising technique. But guess what? Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. It's not just about coronavirus. It's about Rand Paul raising money for his next campaign. What do people need to know about what's coming next? because this might get people's attention. The WH, well, WHO so has not come out with this pandemic preparation treaty. Is that the yeah. thing people should look at? Mm, no. No. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, uh, when I was in the European Union, I had the opportunity to be approached by an individual um, who wanted to meet me in Brussels to hand me a black envelope inside the black envelope was a proposal from the United States Department of Defense for the readiness campaign for the next outbreak. For the next outbreak. Can you explain that? Yeah, that's kind of one of those things where you sit back and go, hmm. 
So we actually have a contract that is circulating in Europe from the United States Department of Defense trying to identify European contractors to be partners in the next bio attack on humanity. That's kind of an interesting problem. And the public should be right now asking for not only accountability for what's happened, but Brian, our batting average sucks. You know, we found out, we found out that the Department of Defense funded the thing that killed people with white powder coming out of envelopes in the fall of 2001. And we not only did nothing, we allowed that government by 2005 to suspend the Constitution of the United States in times of self-declared pandemics. Does that sound like a good idea? Does it sound like a good idea to say to despotic leaders, hey, guess what? Let's make a law that says whenever you want, you just get to say there's a thing. Oh, and by the way, you have all the labs that are making the thing, so that that's convenient. But But the cool thing is all you have to do is say that there's a thing. And we, the people, get to see our Constitution suspended our human rights suspended. We get to do that whenever you feel like it. So go ahead, fund your gain-of-function research. Go ahead and make Marburg virus more deadly. Let's make hemorrhagic fever kind of a, an afternoon exercise. Let's try to do as much as we can. Remember, we were all supposed to fear monkeypox because allegedly there was a gay nightclub in Germany where allegedly because of all kinds of sexual improprieties that were going on in the gay nightclub, we were all supposed to fear monkeypox. Listen, the problem is not monkeypox and it's not Marburg and it's not those things. The problem is we as a public are not demanding an end to the ill-conceived and highly organized program, which is happening right now, which is the European Union, the United States, Canada and Australia are currently in collaboration with China on another round of multilateral self-declared pandemics. And nobody's saying, oh, hold on a minute. Did we learn from anthrax? Did we learn from SARS? Did we learn from MERS? Did we learn from bird flu? Did we learn from SARS 2.0? Did we learn from any of these things? And the answer is not only we did not learn, we have not yet even had the first conversation about demanding accountability for the real crime, because the real crime is not the few people who died with the bioweapons. That's not the real crime. The real crime is a public institution called the government of a country who has decided that its citizens are cannon fodder for the corporate patrons enrichment. A hundred billion dollars for Pfizer for an exercise in the mass murder of citizens. And we think the problem is what's the next pathogen. That's not the problem. You know, when the Wall Street Journal published its nonsensical story about how 
pursuing their FOIA request and doing all their deep investigation, they found out that the Department of Defense was funding programs that I mentioned to you and to Mickey and to others three years ago. And Wall Street Journal suddenly has stumbled across the fact that they're still getting the story wrong. They're still missing. They're now up to $41 million, Brian. Isn't that exciting? When the number that I actually mentioned was 191 billion, 191 billion, not 41 million. But now, because it's the Wall Street Journal, everybody goes, oh my God, I thought it was $3.6 million with Ego Health Alliance. No, you're still off and not off by a little bit. You're off by orders of magnitude. And we, the people, are still falling for the story that we should be obsessed with whether Elon Musk is hosting an anti-vax conversation with Robert Kennedy on Twitter. Listen, the whole vax anti-vax thing is BS because this thing never was a vaccine. This was the administration of a weapon. And we're falling for this conversation of whether you're pro-vax or anti-vax. This is not a vaccine. This is by the definition under 18 U.S. code. This is a biological weapon. And you know what I'm opposed to? Biological weapons. I'm not opposed to vaccine or not vaccine. I'm opposed to biological weapons. I'm opposed to the weaponization of nature. I'm opposed to those things. And we as a society are missing the learning point because the learning point is this never was about pro or anti-vaccine and bobby kennedy's conversations around that are still part of the problem we should not be talking about the appropriateness or inappropriateness of vaccine safety and by the way there's a bunch to talk about about that and he's right to say it isn't a good thing and what we're doing isn't safe i fully endorse his observations on the absence of safety i think he's spot on there but if you think that the COVID story was about vaccines, you are missing the plot. This is about a government that is actually killing its citizens for the private profit interests, which they've admitted to in their own words, in their own writing. And that's conversation, which apparently is too esoteric for anybody except those vascularly occluded with bow ties to even figure out. Right. So somewhere along the line, I need to loosen my tie and get a cool tie like yours so I can actually apparently muddle through the issues that are allegedly the things I should be talking about. But my point is, if we in the U.S. and the U.K., just that alone, if we go back and say, hold on a second, the United States delivered a known pathogen to the United Kingdom in the 1960s. Somewhere in the U.K., and somewhere in the U.S., we the people ought to figure out a way to say that's not OK on our watch. And there is accountability not for coronavirus. There is accountability for the weaponization of nature against the citizens of a country that we should care about. I was about to interject that this is um, like dealing with a couple of toddlers where you can trick them once and then trick them again and trick them again and trick them again. But I've got two young boys and they won't even fall for that. No. They won't. No. You're almost dealing with a mentally impaired public. And like you said, you, you make them pay attention to this hand over here and this hand keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. And it seems like it's right there in plain sight. 
And yet the same con can get rolled over and over and over again. People have asked, how is it they do it so seamlessly? How does the forces of darkness seem to always get it done? And my response is because the light has never learned from darkness. If we actually examined how they do it, it's actually really easy. All you have to do is you have to leverage fear and then create the illusion of scarcity. That's it. There's the whole playbook right there. Yeah. Yeah. And the giant, giant learning that we collectively could have. And by the way, why would I say something about the next pandemic brought to you by DARPA? Well, I'd say it because I'm actually using the agency of fear, maybe, to wake people up to maybe that's the problem. Maybe public health delivered through the Department of Defense is a bad model. Maybe the Department of Defense should stick to Department of Defense stuff. And maybe biologic weaponization of nature is probably not in the remit of what we should actually have our men and women in the armed forces focused on. We should be focused on things like, I don't know, the things we take oaths to defend. Like all enemies, domestic and foreign. I'm sorry. I just read the evidence of enemies, domestic and foreign. And I haven't seen a single person who's taken that oath stand up and keep their oath. That's a problem. And I get your point about Bobby Kennedy as in it. Oh, oh, Dr. Martin. Dr. One thing he has. Right. Yeah. One thing he has said. What the fuck is going on with this thing? Dr. Martin, you, you just said, wow. That is uh, very poignant. How many of you vets feel that way? We took on that, that oath. That was part of our oath. I will defend the Constitution against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. Hmm. Just wondering. Do you now feel a little bit more anger? Kind of like what I feel every day. Like we should be pissed right now, especially as veterans. We should be really angry. Like really, really angry. We're not. We've been calm sitting in the corner because we're afraid that everybody's going to look at us and say, what a bunch of fucking weirdos. Why are they so angry? Why are we so angry? This is what we fought to protect and defend. And what did we protect and defend? We protected a Gestapo that is now killing our own people. What the fuck is wrong with us? Just say. Hopefully this works better. Turning it back on. Fucking thing. Between these health agencies and remuneration and patents and things like that. He has talked about that yeah. or even CIA and some of those. So he has put out some bigger picture ideas that would potentially stop some of this. Yes or well, no? Certainly. And, and listen, 
credit where credit's due. He's the only one even hinting at yes. it, right? Uh, yeah. So far, and by the way, Ron DeSantis has had the information about the criminal nature of this thing for at least a year and a half. Ron DeSantis has unambiguously, as a governor, been the person who did, in fact, impanel a grand jury. But if you go back and look at what he impaneled, he did not impanel a grand jury to look at the crime. And if you look at what was done in Texas, when right before Paxton was was impeached by by the uh, the Texas legislature, you look at what Paxton did and Paxton said, well, we should we should at least look at deceptive medical practices, which is a playbook I wrote two years ago, which is the the vanilla version of the fight. I can confidently say that Bobby and Ron and Ken have taken steps down the pathway of at least going, hey, people, there's a bigger issue. But my problem is really simple. My problem is they're still couching it in terms that are the terms of the incumbent architects of the problem, right? Nobody's talking about the fact that the Department of Defense budget for what they call biological and chemical weapons readiness is something that we should be concerned about because they're the ones manufacturing the agents. We should be concerned when they fund people who actually use terms like biowarfare enabling technology. Right. The public should be chilled when they hear those words. Collectively, we should all sit back and say, we don't care how misspoken, misbranded, mislabeled that phrase is. That phrase is published on somebody's CV. It is published in proceedings of those events. And that should never be done in human history. There should not be a biological warfare enabling anything because as a society, we agreed in the Nuremberg trials, that was a line humanity could never cross. And in 2005, Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, crossed the line that the whole of the earth said was uncrossable. And he was funded to do so by Anthony Fauci. And we should concern ourselves with that. You finished that speech in the EU with uh, some strong statements at the end. Um, I don't have all of them, but you went to say nature was hijacked, science was hijacked, morality was suspended. And then you go on to say no more gain of function research, period. No more weaponization of nature. No more corporate patronage of science unless they assume 100% product liability. And you said some more things. Where do you go from here? Well, you know, I, I have the worst batting average of, of probably any human being. I've been at bat on this thing for a long time. And, and you know that the balls and strikes uh, and outs are not in my favor. I, I have I've tried to activate attorneys general. I've tried to activate prosecutors. I've tried to and I did file the, the only federal case on the CMS mandate, um, you know, which which we filed in Utah last year. I have I have gone as many different at bats as I can imagine, and I still do it. Right? We still have this conversation, and and some people would be probably questioning at this point in time whether I'm just a raving lunatic. Which you know, there's plenty of folks who who are on that side. 
but but I do know that since we talked last, Brian, I've had the great fortune of having my son and my daughter, respectively, provide the next generation in my family. I have a 10-month-old grandson. I have a six-week-old granddaughter. And there's something about the world that I'm seeing through their eyes that is the fuel to fuel the reactor that needs to run inside of me to keep me going. Because there's something I recognize about the perpetrators of these crimes. They've lost touch with humanity. And they've lost touch with even what the term humanity means. They actually believe in a Yuval Harari. Um, we can all become AI. We can all upload ourselves to the cloud and, and then have this kind of digital immortality until, I don't know, a lightning strike takes us out or a solar flare takes out the memory chips or whatever. But But the fascinating thing is when I hold my little grandson and when I was so fortunate to be you know, one of the very first arms in which my little granddaughter was placed. I, I look at them and I see a world that is not remote. It's not far away. It's not something that we have a hard time imagining or accessing. It's a world that if we choose to, we can see today. We can still be human. We, we can still say that the analog experience of humanity is what we choose and we don't need to be digitized and we don't need to be uploaded and we don't need to be any of those things. And by the way, whenever my use date hits, I'll be poured out like spilled milk. That's fine. I don't, I don't care because somewhere on this body, there's a use by date and afterwards I'll probably stink. So let's just get rid of me when, when that use by date hits. But between now and then, I think advocating for things like liberty I think advocating for things like the rule of law, I think advocating for things like educated citizens who are informed when they make decisions, I think those kinds of things are timeless. So I don't think you can fail at a mission that's always relevant. I don't think you can fail at having this conversation one too many times. I don't think you and I can find enough cool shirts and ties to ever bore the population with all of the information that is required to have a educated electorate that then can hold people accountable. And so what I've had to do in the what then is I've had to change my outcome. And I will tell you what, and this is a fun anecdote of that European Union speech, but it's a good one. The organizer of the conference reached out to me and said, would you be willing to come over and do the thing in the parliament? And I said, no. And the reason I said no is I was tired of the short format revolving door, what I call the drive-by shooting presentations. I think if you're going to solve a problem that was 58 years in the making, it's going to take more than 15 minutes on a stage because you can't get all the facts out in 15 minutes. So I said I wasn't going to go. They came back and said, well, we'll give you a little more time. I said, okay, not enough. And they came back again. And so I came over to Brussels, no kidding, with an agreement that said I was going to have 45 minutes. Now, some of the parliament members were a little slow in showing up. You know how, you know, official things happen and the, the start time got pushed back and all kinds of other things happened. And I kept getting these notes. Um, hey, 45 minutes isn't going to work. Can you do it in 35? Hey, 35 isn't going to work. Can you cut it to 30? 
You know what happened next. I got 21 minutes. I'm not complaining, but I will tell you that there's a part of me that was a little pissed off. Because <laughs> I came for a 45-minute presentation, and I got 21 minutes. And my wife, Kim, woke up early. It was being live-streamed. She woke up early, 3 o'clock in the morning, here in Charlottesville, Virginia. And she watched the presentation. And giant surprise. Are you ready for this? Dave Martin, the impervious to anything that ruffles the feathers, I called her afterwards and I said, ah, man, that sucked. And there was a long pause. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, I had so much else to say. So much else to say. And she just had this long, wise pause. And she goes, I think you said exactly what needed to be said. And she said, just wait. Well, Brian... Not only was she right, and now we've recorded that I've said that my wife is right, so there's the evidence. We'll play this a thousand times. But what happened next is amazing. We had 20 million views, and then we got picked up in Hong Kong and soon became a billion views, and then got picked up in India and Sri Lanka and all across Africa and all across Europe and on numerous parliamentary and news and other channels. And before long, over 2 billion people had encountered this message. And the reason I'm saying that is because I got it wrong. My great speech that no one ever heard wasn't the great speech. And for whatever reason, those 21 minutes just might be the very best, worst performance I ever had. And the reason I'm saying that to everybody is because if anybody thinks that Dave Martin has it right, I didn't even have that right. I thought that people needed a longer story. I thought they needed a longer message. I thought they needed more pieces of the puzzle. But you know what? My wife was dead on because it turns out that 21 minutes was long enough to engage people and not too long or too short for them to make the commitment to watch it. A whole number of people on TikTok and other social media tried to sh shrink the sound bites down. Here's the seven minutes of the David 21 minutes. And here's the three minutes of the Dave's 21 minutes. And almost all the comments on all of those shrunk down versions was, I want to see the whole thing. And Kim was right, and I was wrong. 21 minutes was exactly the 21 minutes the world needed. Not what I needed. Not what I would have even thought was ideal. It's the 21 minutes the world needed. And the reason that's important is because people need to understand that even the people out in front get it wrong. I thought that that was mediocre at best, and I thought I had failed. And it is truly the best failure I've ever had. And I hope that we can see in the humanity of that story the point, right? We're going to win some and we're going to lose some. But we're stupid if we think that we are the arbiter of the final story. Because we're not. I'm doing my part. You're doing your part. Mickey's doing his part. The other people you've talked about are doing their part. None of us know which one is going to be the one that tips the scales. But I can guarantee you that if we're silent, none of them will tip a scale. 
So here's to my continued failure because it's freaking taking the world by storm. And I hope I fail up every time. <laughs> it's a beautiful 21 minutes. I was watching it again this morning and I was just like, I was, my jaw was dropping and I'm, I'm kind of familiar with some of the material, but yeah. I was just like, God damn. And uh, that's why I uploaded it right away on our channel and people can go watch it. But uh, it's a different David Martin than we saw in that movie. It is. We're pause and break, break, folks. can you tell me about that guy? This <laughs> yeah. the guy from 2020. Um, stay by. We're going to pause this real quick. Uh, first of all, we're coming up on 420, which we're going to observe, um, which makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it should. Anyway, the other part is we actually want to play that 21 minutes because yes. I, I think now's the perfect time. Contextually, it adds more to the argument. Um, one of the things I didn't like that he just said, and I want you all to pay attention to this because a lot of people say this and you don't realize it. A lot of you say it, you don't realize it. I gave my performance like I thought needed to be given. Your perf whoa, whoa, a performance? Wait a minute. Who are you performing for? What monkey? Because this ain't my circus, bro. Because I'm not a monkey. I'm not here performing for you. And yet you are. Yet I'm not. Because he said, my performance, I gave. Wait a minute. There's no performing here. I don't perform. We don't come on here and perform. The anger is actual. You want to know where I stand? I'm pissed. I'm tired of our fucking government. Our government's been lying to us since long before I was born. The problem is, is only one third of America's woken up to that one little fact that the government is lying. There's the other two thirds of America that still believes the same bullshit and is still tied into the same battery network and got their heads buried so far up their own asses. They don't even know where the fuck they're at anymore. This shit is real. There's no, there's no way. How is it possible that he could lay out all of this shit that we just, that he just said, right? How is it possible that no one has been even convicted of a crime, let alone convicted of a crime, even charged with a crime? Because no one will pick it. And why is that? Because they're all involved. Exactly. That's the problem. That's where the conspiracy is. You want to the know where the theory, the actual conspiracy. You want to know where a conspiracy starts. Starts with the first person who covered it up. Mm -hmm. That's a conspiracy. Doesn't Period. It doesn't have to be in government. It doesn't have to be criminal all the time. 90% of them are criminal because it ends up ending on the criminal side. Mm. Because they end up fucking somebody else over. Don't get me wrong. I don't I I don't disagree with what he's saying. It scares me though when I hear people say, well, it was my it was my performance. Wouldn't presentation have gone better for you? Yes, yes, yes. Or my my uh my sworn testimony. That would have been perfect. 
But a performance? No, 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 no. What you're talking about is not performing. Performing means you're lying. You're you're talking about another story and you're giving a story that people want to hear. I don't want to hear the story that people want to hear. Well, not, I want to hear the truth. Not necessarily. Like, so Dr. Martin was essentially the star of Plandemic 2. That's a movie. It's a documentary. But wouldn't that be considered a performance? No, he was just talking about his 21 minutes that he gave in front of this. No, I know. This, but, but I mean, but wouldn't when, that when also be considered said, a performance? That doesn't mean he was lying. But when he said there, he was referring to the 21 minutes. He said, I thought my performance needed more time. When you say those words, you don't even think you're saying them. I got gotcha. you. I'm sorry. You are all, you're the one who's always made me look twice at what I'm about to say. Because I'm always like, well, that's going to be think, right there on the edge. I think you're adding a connotation to the word performance that it doesn't necessarily mean. You said it always means you're lying. That's not true. No, it means you're performing. It means you're dancing to a tune. It means you're agreeing to a narrative that somebody else gave you. It's not your not own. Necessarily. I wanted him to go in and testify. That's what I wanted him to but do. That just because you're performing doesn't mean that it's some that someone else gave you the narrative. He wrote his own testimony. He wrote his own presentation. He okay, had to well cut then it why down. why not say he testify? rehearsed it many, many times. Why not say testify? When you rehearse something like that, then don't you consider it a performance? No. No, not at all. Not when it's coming from the heart. Nope, 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 nope. I've never, ever, I have never, ever considered one of my rants on here a performance because every single one of my rants on here come from my heart. I gotcha. Fuck that. No, there is a difference be between performing mm -hmm. and showing exactly how you feel without any question or any doubt to anything you say. Well, he actually gets into that at the end uh, past this interview, but let's watch this 21 minutes first because it'll already put us past 420, so because you've been ranting for a few minutes here. Well, I was trying to wait until 420 to start this. After 420 to start this. I had it timed so that we would have hit it right for 420. Knowledge I would have needed I'd to Look know at the time. It is, a, it is a particularly interesting location for me to be sitting today, given that over a decade ago, I sat in this very chair right here in the European Union Parliament. And at that time, I warned the world of what was coming. Uh, during that conversation that was hosted at the time by the Green and EFA and a number of the other parties of the European Union's uh, various representations, we were having a conversation on whether Europe should adopt the United States policy of allowing for the patents on biologically derived materials. And at the time, I urged this body and I urged people around the world that the weaponization of nature against humanity had dire consequences. Tragically, I sit here today um, with that unfortunate line that I don't like to say, which I told you so. But the fact of the matter is we're here not for a reprisal on past decisions. We're here to actually once again come to the face of the human condition and ask the question, who do we want to be? What do we want humanity to look like? And rather than seeing this as an exercise in futility, which is very easy from time to time when you're in the position I'm in, 
I actually see this not as an exercise in futility. I see this as one of the greatest opportunities that faces us because we now have a public conversation, which is now front and center in people's minds. When this was an esoteric conversation about biological patents, nobody cared. But when that conversation came home, then it became something people can care about. So I'm actually quite grateful for this opportunity. I thank the members of parliament for hosting this. I thank all of the translators who I apologize in advance. I will use terminology that is probably very difficult to translate. So my apologies. And I'd also like to acknowledge the fact that many of you are aware of my involvement with this in large part due to the amazing work of my wonderful wife, Kim Martin, who encouraged me at the very early days of this pandemic to get on front of the camera and talk about all the information that I had been sharing among very small groups around the world. And it was in fact her encouragement that put me in a place where many of you have heard what I have to say. Ironically, the world that I came from that used to be very popular, my CNBC and Bloomberg presentations, which were televised on mainstream media around the world, was an audience that I lost. I, I can confidently say COVID diminished my fame. But I can also confidently say that I'd rather stand among the people with whom I'm standing today than any of the folks that were part of that previous world. So this is a much better place to be. My role today is to set the stage for this conversation in a historical context, because this did not come in the last three years. This did not come in the last five or six years. This actually is an ongoing question that probably began here in Europe in the early stages of the mid 1900s, but certainly by 1913, 1914, this conversation started right here in Central Europe. The pandemic that we alleged to have happen in the last few years also did not happen overnight. In fact, the very specific pandemic using coronavirus began in a very different time. And we'll try to advance the slides here with one of these things. Oh, there we go. Most of you don't know that coronavirus as a model of a pathogen was isolated in 1965. Coronavirus was identified in 1965 as one of the first infectious replicatable viral models that could be used to modify a series of other experiences of the human condition. It was isolated once upon a time associated with the common cold. But what's particularly interesting about its isolation in 1965 was that it was immediately identified as a pathogen that could be used and modified for a whole host of reasons. And you heard me correctly, that was 1965. And by the way, these slides are public domain. You're welcome to look at every single reference. Every comment that I made is based on published material. So do make sure that you look at those references. But in 1966, the very first COV coronavirus model was used as a transatlantic biological experiment in human manipulation. And you heard the date, 1966. I hope you're getting the point of what I'm saying. This is not an overnight thing. This is actually something that's been long in the making. A year before I was born, 
we had the first transatlantic coronavirus data sharing experiment between the United States and the United Kingdom. And in 1967, the year I was born, we did the first human trials on inoculating people with modified coronavirus. Isn't that amazing? 56 years ago, the overnight success of a pathogen that's been 56 years in engineering. And I want that to chill with all of you. Where were we when we actually allowed, in violation of biological and chemical weapons treaties, where were we as a human civilization when we thought it was an acceptable thing to do to take a pathogen for the United States and infect the world with it? Where was that conversation? And what should have been that conversation in 1967? That conversation wasn't had. Ironically, the common cold was turned into a chimera in the 1970s. And in 1975, 1976, and 1977, we started figuring out how to modify coronavirus by putting it into different animals, pigs and dogs. And not surprisingly, by the time we got to 1990, we found out that coronavirus as a infectious agent was an industrial problem for two primary industries, the industries of dogs and pigs. Dog breeders and pigs found that coronavirus created gastrointestinal problems, and that became the basis for Pfizer's first spike protein vaccine patent filed, are you ready for this, in 1990. Did you hear what I just said? 1990, Operation Warp Speed, I'm sorry, Where's the warp and the speed? Pfizer, 1990, the very first spike protein vaccine for coronavirus. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it fascinating that we were, we were told that, well, the spike protein is a new thing. We just found out that that's the problem. No. As a matter of fact, we didn't just find out it was not just now, now the problem. We found that out in 1990 and filed the first patents on vaccines in 1990 for the spike protein of coronavirus. And who would have thought? Pfizer. Clearly the innocent organization that does nothing but promote human health. Clearly Pfizer. The organization that has not bought the votes in this chamber and in every chamber of every government around the world. Not that Pfizer. Certainly, they wouldn't have had anything to do with this. But oh, yes, they did. And in 1990, they found out that there was a problem with vaccines. They didn't work. You know why they didn't work? It turns out that coronavirus is a very malleable model. It transforms and it changes and it mutates over time. As a matter of fact, every publication on vaccines for coronavirus from 1990 until 2018, every single publication concluded that coronavirus escapes the vaccine impulse because it modifies and mutates too quickly for vaccines to be effective. And since 1990 to 2018, that is the published science, ladies and gentlemen. That's following the science. Following the science is their own indictment of their own programs that said it doesn't work. <clears throat> And there are thousands of publications to that effect, not a few hundred. 
and not paid for by pharmaceutical companies. These are publications that are independent scientific research that shows unequivocally, including efforts of the chimera modifications made by Ralph Berk in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. All of them show vaccines do not work on coronavirus. That's the science. And that science has never been disputed. But then we had an interesting development in 2002. And this date is most important. Because in 2002, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, patented, and I quote, an infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. Listen to those words, infectious replication defective. What does that phrase actually mean? For those of you not familiar with language, let me unpack it for you. Infectious replication defective means a weapon. It means something meant to target an individual, but not have collateral damage to other individuals. That's what infectious replication defective means. And that patent was filed in 2002 on work funded by NIAID's Anthony Fauci from 1999 to 2002. And that work patented at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill mysteriously preceded SARS 1.0 by a year. <gasps> Dave, are you suggesting that SARS 1.0 wasn't from a wet market in Wuhan? Are you suggesting it might have come from a laboratory in the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill? No, I'm not suggesting it. I'm telling you that's the facts. We engineered SARS. SARS is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. The naturally occurring phenomenon is called the common cold. It's called influenza-like illness. It's called gastroenteritis. That's the naturally occurring coronavirus. SARS is the research developed by humans weaponizing a life system model to actually attack human beings. And they patented it in 2002. And in 2003, giant surprise, the CDC filed the patent on coronavirus isolated from humans in violation, once again, of biological and chemical weapons treaties and laws that we have in the United States. And I'm very, very precise on this. The United States likes to talk about its rights and everything else and the rule of law and all the nonsense that we like to talk about. But we don't ratify treaties about, I don't know, defending humans. We conspicuously avoid that. We actually have a great track record of advocating for human rights and then denying them when it comes to actually being part of the international community, which is a slightly problematic thing. But let's get something very clear. When the CDC in April of 2003 filed the patent on SARS coronavirus isolated from humans, what did they do? They downloaded a sequence from China and filed a patent on it in the United States. Any of you familiar with biological and chemical weapons treaties knows that's a violation. That's a crime. That's not an innocent oops. That's a crime. And the United States Patent Office went as far as to reject that patent application on two occasions until the CDC decided to bribe the Patent Office to override the patent examiner to ultimately issue the patent in 2007 on SARS coronavirus. But let's not let that get away from us because it turns out that the RT-PCR 
which was the test that we allegedly were going to use to identify the risks associated with coronavirus, was actually identified as a bioterrorism threat by me in the European Union-sponsored events in 2002 and 2003, 20 years ago. That happened here in Brussels and across Europe. In 2005, this particular pathogen was specifically labeled as a bioterrorism and bioweapon platform technology. Described as such, that's not my terminology that I'm applying to it. It was actually described as a bioweapons platform technology in 2005. And from 2005 onwards, it was actually a biowarfare enabling agent, its official classification from 2005 forward. I don't know if that sounds like public health to you. Does it? Biological warfare enabling technology. That feels like not public health. That feels like not medicine. That feels like a weapon designed to take out humanity. That's what it feels like. And it feels like that because that's exactly what it is. We have been lured into believing that EcoHealth Alliance and DARPA and all of these organizations are what we should be pointing to. But we've been specifically requested to ignore the facts that over $10 billion have been funneled through black operations through the check of Anthony Fauci and a side-by-side -side ledger where NIAID has a balance sheet and next to it is a biodefense balance sheet equivalent dollar-for-dollar -dollar matching that no one in the media talks about. And it's been going on since 2005. Our gain-of-function moratorium, the moratorium that was supposed to freeze any efforts to do gain-of-function research. Conveniently, in the fall of 2014, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill received a letter from NIAID saying that while the gain-of-function moratorium on coronavirus in vivo should be suspended, because their grants had already been funded, they received an exemption. Did you hear what I just said? A biological weapons lab facility at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, received an exemption from the gain-of-function moratorium so that by 2016, we could publish the, the journal article that said, SARS coronavirus is poised for human emergence in 2016. And what, you might ask, Dave, was the coronavirus poised for human emergence? It was W. IV-1, Wuhan Institute of Virology Virus 1, poised for human emergence in 2016 at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, such that by the time we get to 2017 and 2018, the following phrase entered into common parlance among the community there is going to be an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. The operative word, obviously, in that phrase, the word release. Does that sound like leak? Does that sound like a bat and a pangolin went into a bar in the Wuhan market and hung out and had sex, and, and lo and behold, we got SARS-CoV-2? No. Accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen was the terminology used and four times in April of 2019, 
seven months before the allegation of patient number one, four patent applications of Moderna were modified to include the term accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen as the justification for making a vaccine for a thing that did not exist. Keep going. If you have not done so, please make sure that you make reference in every investigation to the premeditation nature of this, because it was in September of 2019 that the world was informed that we were going to have an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen so that by September 2020, there would be a worldwide acceptance of a universal vaccine template. That's their words right in front of you on the screen. The intent was to get the world to accept a universal vaccine template, and the intent was to use coronavirus to get there. And the last slide. This isn't advancing, so if I could have somebody advance. Let's, let's read this because we have to read this into the record everywhere I go. Until an infectious disease crisis is very real, present, and at the emergency threshold, it is often largely ignored. To sustain the funding base beyond the crisis, he said, we need to increase the public understanding for the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan-influenza or pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. Sounds like public health. Sounds like the best of humanity. No, ladies and gentlemen, this was premeditated domestic terrorism stated at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015, published in front of them. This is an this is an act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race. And it was admitted to in writing that this was a financial heist and a financial fraud. Investors will follow if they see profit at the end of the process. Let me conclude by making five very brief recommendations. The last slide. Nature was hijacked. This whole story started in 1965 when we decided to hijack a natural model and decide to start manipulating it. Science was hijacked when the only questions that could be asked were questions authorized under the patent protection of the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, and their equivalent organizations around the world. We didn't have independent science. We had hijacked science. And unfortunately, there was no moral oversight in violation of all of the codes that we stand for. There was no independent, financially disinterested, independent review board ever impaneled around coronavirus, not once. Not once. Not since 1965. We do not have a single independent IRB ever impaneled around coronavirus. So morality was suspended for medical countermeasures. And ultimately, humanity was lost because we decided to allow it to happen. Our job today is to say no more gain of function research, period. No more weaponization of nature, period. And most importantly, no more corporate patronage of science for their own self-interest unless they assume 100% product liability for every injury and every death that they maintain. Thank you very much. Damn. So.
that was a good 21 minutes mm-hmm. worth of time. But you want to get hot? Always. I mean, do you? Yeah. Come on. It's about that time. So what do you guys think? I know we've watched that before. Um, we actually watched it on a Patriot Party podcast when it first came out, when he, right after he gave initially, but I think that's the perfect time to uh, watch it again in the middle of his other interview. So, um, and I, I think you're I, right. I know you're holding out. I know you're trying to hold out right now because I'm about to press that button. You keep trying to keep pausing. I know. It. It's quite comical. Um, Jackknife. I think you're right, though. I think some people need to hear it multiple times. Why can't I hear anything right now? Because I haven't played anything. Yet. Okay, well, you have to it. mute it. There we go. We'll get it ready. Smoke it up. I think people need to read that multiple or hear that multiple times before it sinks in. There's so much information in there. And, you know, it's, I, I think part of their plan, when you think about it, Everything they do now is so blatant. It's so, I mean, it's so in your face that people can't even comprehend that they would really be this evil, that they would really, that the depth of their depravity is so all-encompassing. Why? Because most- What's the difference between the guy that shoots the lady on the street that's just carrying her groceries home and the lady that, and the, the lawmaker that decides that 100 people, 100 billion people need to die? What's the difference? It's, that's, not the, that's not the point I was getting at. The point is that most normal people, normal, right? Most, most people, because they can't personally comprehend doing something like that can't comprehend that someone else would you know what the difference between and that's me, why we're not able to wake them up you know what the difference between me and somebody else is you've already seen the evil in the world no 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 i've killed somebody true okay on the opposite side of that there's a lot of people that say that they want to but they've never done it mm-hmm. i can go ahead and tell you right now it's not the same reaction you're ever going to have That depravity is there the second. It doesn't matter if you kill one person mm-hmm. or a hundred million people. Yeah. The depravity is there either way yeah. is my point. But most people can't comprehend it. That's why we're not able to wake them up. They just can't believe in their little minds that people uh, are really this evil. There's and nobody. The governments have conspired to kill a large number of us all at once. There is not a person in this world that went to Afghanistan and did not call the people in Afghanistan savages. And it's not because it was a racial thing or anything else. It was because they were savages. That's how they lived their life. Meaning you despise them or you, you pissed them off at one point. 30 years down the road, they'd come back and kill you. And they would not go to jail for it. Yeah. Stuck in New York, I don't know, it, maybe a lack of social empathy helps to foster that depravity in people, but I, mean, I think maybe it's too much empathy, if that makes sense, why people can't comprehend the evil. Because they feel like they feel too much and they don't want that in their lives. 
So they shut it out and pretend it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but that's they're ostriches. They stick their heads in the sand. Yes, true, true. My point is that hold on. It's my point. When the FBI knocks on your door, what do we tell them? Nah bear. I get it. I get what you're saying. I get what both of you are trying to say. However, by doing that, you're putting the blame back on God. God is not responsible for what we do. God gave us a choice. He gave mm-hmm. us free will. It is, you know, I, I've come to look at it this way. You know, when you have seen those movies in the past, and they, the bad guy's got the good guy in the ground. He's begging for his life. He's about to put one in his head. And the bad guy instead knocks him out and walks away. That's free will. That is the epic definition of free will. He had a choice right there. He could have followed his orders. He wouldn't have gone to jail. He wouldn't have gotten in any trouble. He could have knocked him out. And the same thing wouldn't have happened. So the point of it is this, you, you're given free will, even in decisions, when you don't think you have the decision, you're given it even at times in which you think you're unworthy of it. So let me, in saying that, I was thinking of my cousin. I have a cousin who is, first off, She's batshit fucking crazy. Okay. Proven by both her cousin. She is batshit crazy. She is highly empathic. She sucked dick for Coke from the time she was 13 until she was probably 20 something. And then she went clean, but it was too late. She's already fucked. Right. So she shut out everything negative. She doesn't watch TV. She doesn't, she refuses to listen to anything negative, anything bad about the world, right? I can barely talk to her, right? She just, she, she won't do it. She completely shuts it out. And, and that's how she's coped with her own mental instability. But now she wants to travel. Mind you, she's 35. Right. She wants to travel. She wants to go to Europe. Now, mind you, the worst day that this girl has ever faced is probably the day her dad died, which would be a pretty horrible day for me, too. Um, however, that's like the worst day she's ever faced. She's never faced true adversity. She has no idea what the real world is like. And if she ever encountered any of you, she would be aghast at what she saw. But apparently she's been talking to someone online who is, I know has misrepresented themselves. And now she wants to go to the UK to meet them, meet this person. And we are seriously concerned for her safety because she has shut everything negative out. She refuses to acknowledge it. She has no idea that exists. She literally lives under a rock. And then she's going to go out in the world her ass is going to get trafficked. Someone's going to pick her up super quick because she doesn't want to hear it. And 
I'm going to sit down with her. I'm going to talk to her. Well, I'm going to call her and try and explain this to her. But I know she's going to hang up on me and she's not going to listen. Some people just don't want to accept that there is evil in the world. And so therefore, they cannot accept that evil has been perpetrated upon them. And I don't think anything that we say is going to wake those people up. The first part of any problem is identifying that you have a problem. We've talked about that on several different occasions because we have a fucking huge problem in this country that nobody wants to talk about. It sits at the head of our government and it's destroying us from the inside. Claire, I was talking about my cousin. But either way, it affects us all the way down to the lowest of us. I mean, don't get me wrong. She was a psycho before, so this is nothing new. But the, the Again, added to for Coke since she was 13. The added to part of this is that now she wants to take her problems to I I feel responsible because I don't want to shut our problems on England. You know, that's not the right thing to do. It's not what you do in your neighbors and allies. Um a, number one, that's a big one. But B, number two, the other problem there is there's a good chance that I, I think she's talking to a fake and she looks very young for her age. And I, I can tell you right now, I think they're going to try and sex traffic her. And um, when they figure out how old she is, when they make those mistakes, they normally kill them. Oh, absolutely curious, Patriot. She's also been taken for money. She hasn't spoken to me for two months because she asked me for $115,000 and I fucking laughed in her face. I was like, I don't have $115,000. I don't have $15,000. And if I did, I wouldn't give it to you. She's trying to tell me I'd get it back in two weeks with an $18,000 return. I was like, are you talking to the Prince of Nairobi? <laughs> Seriously, the that's grand, like the oldest scam in the book. The Grand Prince of Nairobi. I mean, for fuck's sake. Uh, London, I think, Claire. So, you know, yeah, she's getting scammed all the way, but she won't listen to any of us. What do we do? So the question is, do you let her go? And possibly get kidnapped and sold into a sex trafficking ring in which you're going to end up paying for at the end state? Or do she you might, Claire, but or I don't want to put her on you because she's crazy. Or do you declare this dumb bitch a fucking psycho and have her fucking locked up in a fucking institution? The The question is out there because um, I brought up the point that this is the same. I've seen this isn't new from this part of the family. Let's put it that way. Something I've seen before. And um, this individual tried to come after me Um after me about something between her and my wife and um tell me something how did that individual act around me ever since that in interaction she essentially refuses to be in your presence she yeah for the most part matter of fact if i'm there she's there for about five minutes because i told her some things and put her in a place that i said look bitch you might be blue blood or whatever the fuck you think you are but let me tell you what i am i am I am a savage and I will fucking kill you just for the sake of doing it for no other reason. And I could give a fuck less what your political views are. And I could give a fuck less what you think. 
At the end of the day, I will have taken your life. And at the end of the day, I will have collected one soul. Your call. And guess what? That didn't go over very well. But when she was, you know, got picked up for DUI and in jail, who'd she call to get her out? Him. You know, I've cleaned her up, pulled her literally out of the gutter more times than I can count. I've been there for about half of them. And, you know, it was always my fault. Shoot the messenger kind of a thing. I'm done. Like, I've washed my hands of it. But, you know, family's rightfully concerned. What do you do? Don't know. What do any of us do with our friends and family that just won't wake up? No matter what you tell them, no matter what you show them. At what point do you say, I'm sorry. I got to wash my hands of it. God told us there was only going to be 144,000 that could see this. I, I say we carry a small audience, but I want to bet that I touch 144,000 souls a day. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Why is that? Because nobody wants to hear what we have to say. Nobody. You guys do. You want to know why? Because you can. You're right. Which means you're a part of it. You always say you're done until the next time we all do. And I've, I've said, I'm done. I don't know how many times with her and uh, honestly, hundreds. And And honestly, I don't expect her to stop either because that's not what you do with family. Cause she's my family. The problem she's my is blood. the problem is, is that she understands the same thing. I understand. There's only so many times you can lead the horse to water. You can't make it drink it. All you can do is lead it there. It's up to you to take that rational next step that the rest of us figured out a long time ago. And on the other hand, as I told my other cousin last night, she's seriously vaccine injured. I mean, she's severely vaccine injured. They told her she's allergic to mold. She grew up in fucking Savannah. I'm sorry. She's not fucking allergic to mold. Okay. Give me a break. Um, She's serious. She's got like four jabs in her. She's seriously, seriously injured. She has all the classic signs. But she won't admit it. And she went to some doctor on the left coast who told her that she's allergic to mold. And um, as I told my cousin, look, she's going to die pretty soon. Let her go have her fun. But at the same time, I don't want her to get trafficked. Or Or killed because she's too old. Exactly. Because when they figure out her age, they're just going to kill her. They're not going to. It's not like a second chance you get thrown back out into the wild. No, they just shoot you. Yep. You're done. So, you know, I don't know what to do with her. And it's not my responsibility, and yet it is. It always has been. And I, I, I mean, I honestly think she's possessed by a demon. So, um... I read her of a demonic attachment a long time ago, but she's very open to that coming back. That's not something when you read someone of a demonic attachment, if they don't turn to Jesus and keep God first in their lives, they're just going to come back tenfold. So that's another aspect to it. I don't know what to do with that either. So, you know, you can only save the savable. You're right. P quest.
Just saying, there's only 144,000 of us that are supposed to hear this. So I don't know if we're over that number, then we're over that number. And if we are over that number, then maybe we should keep whatever number God gives us mm -hmm. because maybe that's a blessing. Maybe something we shouldn't tear our ears or our hearts away from because, Oh, well it wasn't described in the freaking Bible. No. Okay, fine. So he came up with a new number. He's given us a second chance. Fuck. Don't, don't spit on it. Damn. Right. All right. Well, let's go back to Dr. David Martin's interview. This um, turns to a little bit more personal aspect of it. So and I'm going to that speech 30. Yeah. So a couple things, uh, news and other channels. And before long, over 2 billion people had encountered this message. And the reason I'm saying that is because I got it wrong. My great speech that no one ever heard wasn't the great speech. And for whatever reason, those 21 minutes just might be the very best, worst performance I ever had. Sorry, y'all, I think I'm back. And the reason I'm saying that to everybody is because if anybody thinks that Dave Martin has it right, I didn't even have that right. I thought that people needed a longer story. I thought they needed a longer message. I thought they needed more pieces of the puzzle. But you know what? My wife was dead on because it turns out that 21 minutes was long enough to engage people and not too long or too short for them to make the commitment to watch it. A whole number of people on TikTok and other social media tried to sh shrink the sound bites down. Here's the seven minutes of the David 21 minutes. And here's the three minutes of the Dave's 21 minutes. And almost all the comments on all of those shrunk down versions was, I want to see the whole thing. And Kim was right. And I was wrong. 21 minutes was exactly the 21 minutes the world needed. Not what I needed. Not what I would have even thought was ideal. It's the 21 minutes the world needed. And the reason that's important is because people need to understand that even the people out in front get it wrong. I thought that that was mediocre at best, and I thought I had failed. And it is truly the best failure I've ever had. And I hope that we can see in the humanity of that story the point, right? We're going to win some and we're going to lose some, but we're stupid if we think that we are the arbiter of the final story because we're not. I'm doing my part. You're doing your part. Mickey's doing his part. The other people you've talked about are doing their part. None of us know which one is going to be the one that tips the scales, but I can guarantee you that if we're silent, none of them will tip a scale. So here's to my continued failure because it's freaking taking the world by storm. And I hope I fail up every time. <laughs> it's a beautiful 21 minutes. I was watching it again this morning and I was just like, I was, my jaw was dropping and I'm, I'm kind of familiar with some of the material, but yeah. I was just like, God damn. And uh, that's why I uploaded it right away on our channel and people can go watch it. But uh, it's a different David Martin than we saw in that movie. It is. And can you tell me about that guy versus yeah. the guy from 2020? The guy in that speech in the EU? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, one is that, as you know, um, Mickey is a phenomenal filmmaker. You know that. His his work is amazing. Um, and 
what what happened is that Mickey really wanted to have an archival conversation, right? This is sit down, just dump the facts. You mentioned Del Bigtree. Del Bigtree, when he had me on his show um, a while ago, had a very interesting experience because he he preempted the show with a we don't even know whether what Dave is saying is verifiable facts or anything else. He he just he just said, I think this is something important to hear. But he undermined everything about what I was going to say before we got started by saying he didn't know whether it was verifiable. And to his credit, that was a good thing to do, because back then, you know, there was a lot of whack jobs saying all kinds of wacky things. And so I totally get it. I respect it. And to this day, I I think what Dell's doing is actually quite remarkable and it's an important part of the message. But but Mickey wanted to have just the facts. And it was very important early in this pandemic um, illusion that I stuck to the facts. I stuck to no opinion, just here's here's the data. And so in the film, it was a data dump. And for that matter, if you go back and look at almost everything up until late last year, that's all it was, just data dump. But then I did a speech out in Phoenix, Arizona. And for the very first time, I decided it was time for me to tell my story, not provide data for somebody else's story. And that's the big shift. The big shift is that now I'm not hiding behind, I'm just going to be the objective fact holder and the objective walking Wikipedia of biological weapons for the last 60 years. What I'm going to do this time is I'm going to let people see that there is a passionate human being. There is a man who gives a shit behind this thing. And while I still have the commitment to reserving my opinions from my own thoughts, because I do not share my opinions, and I don't intend to start doing that, What I do want people to know is that there's a human being here who has, on the optics of some, succeeded greatly in becoming a voice for a number of people around the world. There's also a human being who was censored from the very things that were my business, my entire profession. I lost Bloomberg. I lost CNBC. I didn't gain audiences. I shrank my audience. Now, mind you, this EU speech has been seen by more than any of any of my brilliance on Bloomberg or CNBC will ever be seen. But but I lost my audience. I lost my business. I had the three ETFs that I launched with the New York Stock Exchange blacklisted and lost hundreds of millions of dollars because I was blacklisted as potentially an enemy of the state. I've lost a lot. But I haven't lost anything in my accounting of my life. Because in my accounting of my life, I've gained. I walk across the Parliament Square in front of the European Union Parliament in Brussels. And I have people from Croatia and from Sweden and from Ireland and from Slovenia walk up to me and say, Hold on a second. You're David Martin. I say, yes. And he said, our town didn't take the jab because of your videos. There's a fire department in Massachusetts where I had this guy run across an airport, run up to me and go, hey, you know what? 
you're the guy that kept us from having to get the jab in our fire department. None of us went for it. And none of our city and none of our county and none of the surrounding counties went for it because of you and Kim's videos. And I've said to people this, and here's the punchline, Brian. I actually now have something which in in addition to the lovely two grandchildren I mentioned earlier, I have something else that most people never get. I know that my life was relevant. And I can guarantee you that there's not a Klaus Schwab or a Yuval Harari, there's not a Bill Gates, there's not an anybody else that can feel the feeling of knowing that your life tipped the balance. Not for yourself, not for your egos, not for your identity, but tipped the balance for the lives of others. And I can't tell you how much that's worth. But I can tell you it's worth everything I've paid for it. Amen to that. Amen to that. <laughs> I spent 15 years in uh, the highest levels of international finance, but none of it compares to, you know, somebody grabbing me on the street this morning and say, uh, keep going, Brian. Thanks yeah. for everything you do. It's just, it trumps all that by 100x. It's kind of crazy, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. And what's the price of relevance? You know? I know, I know that whenever, whenever this phase of my existence ends, I know I won't sit there going, I wonder if I mattered. I wonder if it mattered. I wonder if I won't have any of those wonders because I get reminded every single day that the mission I'm on is a mission worth doing. And listen, how rare is that? How sweet is that? How, how unusual as a human experience is it to know that in your life? You freaking got the validation that, yeah, you know what? It was worth the air that you breathed. So I would say I'm a better human being because I have found myself less interested in being important and far more interested in being relevant. Well, it shows. And um, there was some great moments in that EU speech where, you know, you said, you said, like, let me repeat that. <laughs> Did you hear what he said? And it was uh, it was just fantastic. I mean, it really came off as a, a great TED talk. Not that TED would have ever had you. Um, and I don't think I'll be invited back there either. Probably not. <laughs> uh, although you do have that old TED talk I found as well. Um, although yeah, it, I do. It is. I, I, they, they can't they can't erase all of it. Mine. Uh, mine got mine disappeared uh, during on the it was on the TEDx website. It actually disappeared for two months right when all of this was happening in May, 2020. And I yeah. was like, come on. I was like, I mean, okay, it's one thing, you know, when Dropbox and PayPal and all these other things systematically check you. But I was like, come on, TEDx takes my talk down. And then it popped back up later and now I think it's gone. But anyways, um, it was interesting. Your role in the film is interesting in Pandemic 3 because again, we also see a different David Martin. You're talking about this concept of being human. You know, you're talking about what this great reset white might mean, this quasi-communist society, and then this last line where you talk about go out and stand on the earth, you know, and you can feel what it means to be human and be a part of this universe. Um, it was a nice, unexpected part of you to see that makes sense of everything that you do. Yeah, um, Mickey. <laughs> Mickey told me that I should wait for it 
and I didn't know what wait for it was. I knew that I was going to have at least a cameo thing in this film. Um, and then he told me about his editorial decision to put that that line in the film. But that was actually one of the rare moments that Mickey and I had to to get into that really human space. A lot of people don't understand what motivates me. And a lot of people have not taken the time to sit and ask the question. And Mickey did. And so that that soundbite comes from a much longer conversation. And like a lot of things that Mickey does, sometimes I wish he'd just let the camera roll be something people could see because the longer conversation is really cool, too. But but the point, I think, is 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 important, because if you ask this underlying question that what's the motivation, right? What's the motivation for a Dave Martin? What's the motivation for a Brian Rose? What's the motivation for Mickey Willis? Which, by the way, I think the the great awakening film because mickey does finally get in front of the camera and finally puts his voice in this film i think it's brilliant because now you get the motivation for the why behind mickey which is a phenomenal story and it's wonderful and it and it grounds this into the context of why it matters i think it's absolutely brilliant and the the point is that mickey just let the camera roll and we started talking about okay the why in david martin and and I would say to, to the people who who puzzle about motivation, the why for me is actually simple. I knew at a very early age that I perceived the world very differently than the people around me. I grew up in a very conservative religious environment. It was not welcoming of different perspectives. Uh, you can imagine how well I went over in that environment. and And I had a very early life that involved some some fairly unpleasant things around uh, around that experience. But at the same time, I started seeing that people who were controlled by ideology or dogma or, or a belief system that was intransigent, I saw the effects of that at such an early age that I realized that I did not want to be constrained by a set of perspectives that blinded me to the world. And I have a beautiful moment which was a moment I had in China with a lovely guy who invited me to a monastery in, in 2010. I'm sorry, in 2007. And during our conversation, he asked me if I would stand barefoot in the snow. Now, I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania. You know, barefoot in the snow is not what we did when we went out at four o'clock in the morning to milk cows. That You know, I was very much into boots. But I went out in the monastery and stood in the snow. And he just asked if I could learn from the snow. And and it was a fun exercise because what I found was, you know, your first thought is, why the hell am I standing in the snow with bare feet? That doesn't make any sense. And then after your brain gets done telling you that that's a dumb idea, you start feeling the snow. And then you start feeling your effect on the snow and you start feeling that if you stand there long enough, the snow relents to your body heat. It doesn't go the other way. Your body heat doesn't relent to the snow. Your feet get cold, yeah. But the snow changes its phase. And that's when I had the epiphany standing barefoot in the monastery, in the snow. Was if you actually stand long enough in your essence, whatever your essence is, you actually start feeling that you actually matter to the earth, not just the other way around. 
And so this wonderful moment of just go stand in the snow turned into a life lesson, which then became a motivation, which is to say, can I get to a place where I'm living my life, I'm comporting my behavior in such a way that I have the ability to learn about my impact on things. And for me, that was a massive shift, not to see the world as happening to me, which I think a lot of people get trapped in. Does this happen to you? Does that happen? Which builds the victim accommodation, validation, nonsense that we're living through right now in society. Can you get to the place where you actually see your own effect? And for me, I'll look at that snowy day in the monastery as one of those life-altering perspective shifts where you move from a world where the world happens to you into a world where you realize it's all interconnected and it's a phase question. How long are you willing to stay and make a difference? How long are you willing to put up with an uncomfortability so that you can make a difference? And so for me, COVID is a long stand in the snow because that's all it is. It's just a long stand in the snow because what we're going to do is we are going to change the narrative. We're going to change the trajectory. And this in many respects is a war of attrition because I do not tire of standing up for humanity. That's not a thing I get exhausted with. I don't, I don't sit here going, Brian, we've got 15 minutes. Let's get the highlights. We'll sit long. We'll enjoy. And when we ultimately see each other in the UK or over here, wherever, We'll have even a longer conversation. Why? Because there's a humanity that is the thing that we will ultimately see its phase change if we're willing to stand long enough metaphorically in that snow. And that's why I love Mickey's inclusion of that line. Get to the place where you see your part of a system rather than you are the victim of or the inertial consequence of a system outside your control. Because we do. We have an influence. We do have an effect. And we can actually stand in that and accomplish great things. I know you thought that this WHO pandemic preparedness treaty was maybe missing the forest for the trees. But that, in addition to the black envelope or letter that you got in the EU for the planning of the next pandemic, I mean, is that something you can at least focus people's attention on to say, no, really, this is going to happen again, because this is systematic conspiracy, not a theory. Yeah. Um, it is, do, you, do you want to at least highlight those things to people so they can see well, them? Certainly, but, but I wanna make sure that one, one of the delicate lines that we walk, and I know you, you face it, I face it, anybody in the public eye faces it, is you don't want to create hopelessness among people who go, oh my gosh, we're being steamrolled again. So, so the, the line that we walk is an interesting one because in one sense, you want people informed. In another sense, you don't want them overwhelmed with the march of tyranny that just suppresses them for the next time and the next time and the next time. So the reason why I'm trying to get into these more nuanced conversations, the reason why I'm so grateful for this conversation is because I think if we can keep our eye on the ball, then what we can see is that the symptom of the problem is the next pandemic. The symptom of the problem is the WHO treaty, but that's a symptom. Right. And, and we need to be able to identify what the problem is. And I think that we need to be doing both. And like the conversation about pro or anti-vax, remember, the term vaccine has a legal definition, still does to this day. 
And that is an agent that is meant to induce immunity and prevent infection and transmission. That's still the legal definition. CDC can change it. Public Health Service in the UK can try to change it. Doesn't matter. The law doesn't change the definition. The definition still is the same thing. So COVID and a conversation about vaccine should not be in the same sentence because this is not. This is experimental gene therapy as defined by the SEC, as defined by the FDA, as defined by the CDC. It's gene therapy, not a vaccine. And if we actually had pro or anti-gene therapy conversations, which is what I would love to see Bobby have, then he wouldn't be labeled anti-vax. He'd be labeled smart, intelligent, doesn't want his genes edited by corporate America. There's a bad position to have, right? Everything about what we're doing right now, I'm trying to make sure we stay focused on, on, on where the core of the problem lives. Because if we address symptomatic expressions of that problem. And by the way, the WHO Treaty is a beautiful example that has no binding authority whatsoever. It is not ratified. It will not be ratified. And therefore, it will have no legal effect. But if we are dumb enough as a society to go, well, yeah, but they said it was a rule. Okay. Parents say that Santa Claus comes down chimneys in apartment buildings that have no chimneys, right? That doesn't make it a fact. It makes it what people are told. And as a society, we need to get to the place where this stupidity of thinking that because a bunch of idiots get together in Geneva or in or in Strasbourg or anywhere else, listen, the who has no power, we don't give it. So don't give it. Is Bobby going no. Is Bobby going to win? You know, it's it's fascinating. I, I I think that I think that the discounting and the mainstream media maligning of his candidacy is actually the best wind he can have in his sails. I think that the the incumbent dissatisfaction with the current political system is extreme. And I think Bobby is starting to pick up an amazing amount of momentum around that general sense of dissatisfaction. I think procedurally, the question of if he's going to win is how willing is he to be, um, let's say, party fluid? Because I think Democrat Inc. will not let him win. And I think Republican Inc. would have a very, very hard time choking down anything that has Kennedy in the name. Um, tragically, because I think the Republican Party now is actually to the left of Kennedy. But, you know, set that aside. Um, the, the fact the fact is, I think that Bobby is going to be his own determinant of success. And if he if he thinks that it's a head to head nomination race with Biden, I think he'll fail because Democrat Inc. won't let it happen. I think if he's willing to be fluid and move into a this is for the good of America and I'm not going to try to force the Democrats into a situation, then I think he has the shot. But I also think, you know, for example, I think DeSantis, probably from the standpoint of of having a rather compelling 
um, argument to say, you know, he represents somebody who did, in fact, at least thwart some of the tyranny of of the covid period. Um, and I think that's his strongest suit, by the way. I don't think he's playing it. I think he's going for the woke vote or the anti-woke vote, depending on your point of view. And I think that's the wrong horse to ride. I think if he had the courage to stand up and say, I was the one that stood up to Trump during the mandates, and then I was the one who stood up to Biden during the mandates, if he actually had the ability to take the fight to the guys with whom he's actually fighting, I think he'd have a better shot. Right now, he's going after the what he did with Disney. And I think that's a bad play because it'll end badly. We're, we're not going to have LGBTQ plus as the reason people go to polls. It will influence it, yes, but it will not be the reason people go to polls. And he's betting on the wrong horse right now. And if he keeps on that horse, he's going to fail. I think the deciding factor, and I've said this tongue in cheek, but not really. I think if Tucker becomes a veep on anybody's ticket, wherever Tucker goes is where the presidency goes. That's strong. Because I think Tucker has right now the best shot at being the swing vote because he has 80 million people's ears. I hadn't heard that. I was thinking about the Trump Kennedy ticket. <laughs> is that a possibility too? Well, who knows? But I, but I can guarantee you that that I I, I have said many times if Tucker becomes Veep on any ticket, that's going to be the winning ticket. That's fascinating. It's a it's a it's a crazy world we're living in. Speaking of Tucker, Tucker's now on Twitter. I'm guessing yeah. all of those views you're talking about of your use picture on Twitter. Um, uh, huge number on TikTok, oddly okay. enough, because the Chinese love that speech. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. So. So it's it. I mean, it blew my mind. I mean, it's the rumbles in the bit shoots. You know that. I mean, there's tons of people who put the yeah. speech up on on everything. Um, one of my dear friends, um, Keith, put put a, a, a beautiful edit of the uh, speech up on Vimeo. Um, and we've had we've had multiple platforms, but there's no question that the uh, Twitter and TikTok are the two largest disseminating platforms. And TikTok was a total surprise because I I thought that that was what teenage girls use to take, you know, indecent videos of stupidity. But I didn't I didn't know that I didn't know that I could be a TikTok sensation. But I think it's the bow tie and the grandpa, probably grandpa, probably that. Yeah. Uh, and so speaking of Twitter, what do you make of Elon Musk? What do you make of his pledge for freedom of speech? Uh, what do you make of his also? You know, he's got his own vested interests in all sorts of different things. And he's a yeah. corporate guy and he's a businessman at the end of the day with the business of making uh, lithium batteries and putting things in space. What do you make of this whole yeah. Twitter phenomenon? Well, so first of all, I think what Elon did with Twitter is brilliant because of his cold calculating, probably Asperger's aided indifference to give a shit, which I think is brilliant. And I think at some point, Freedom of speech requires that kind of tenacity and that level of indifference. And I think what he's done there is absolutely brilliant. And I salute what he's done as probably one of the best moves tactically that I've ever seen him make. I think it's brilliant. And I think that he has turned Twitter into something that nobody thought it could be. If you go back to look at where Twitter was pre-Trump on the verge of bankruptcy, 
and people forget that Trump made Twitter, not the other way around. Right. And 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 a lot of the left sits there going, well, maybe we don't like what Elon's doing on Twitter. I'm like, OK, well, Twitter exists because of Trump. That's the only reason Twitter exists, because they were going to be a non-existent platform until Trump got a phone in his hand and then, you know, all hell broke loose. But the great news about where Twitter is, is they're actually showing us a pathway towards what the future media is. You know, when Tucker can move from Fox to Twitter and increase his viewership, that tells you that broadcast media is dead. And the the patronage of broadcast media in the form of pharma is also dead. So I think what Elon's doing time-wise in the, in the arc of this narrative is phenomenal because what he's done is he's emasculating the networks. And now comically, you know, if you want to go for live news, you go into Twitter spaces and you go into, you know, Twitter videos and you do live streams on Twitter. And, and all of a sudden Twitter has become what YouTube never could do because YouTube was still an entertainment platform, not a news platform. And now that Tucker's over there, now that Elon's doing interviews, now that they're doing interviews with Bobby Kennedy on there, I mean, they're they're playing this as as good as it can be played. And I think they're brilliantly flanking all of the major networks. Fox is trying to stay relevant, but they're losing ground every day. Um, yeah, but losing to a bunch of other losers is not necessarily a winning proposition. Um, with respect to Elon... I've had a number of interactions with people in his in his immediate orbit, including former you know roommates in college and early business partners and so forth. I have not had the privilege of having direct interaction with him, but I will tell you that the universal story about Elon that I've heard from everybody, and I think the evidence of it is pretty self-evident, is Elon is very much given to the what can be done. And I think his indifference towards being emotionally attached to either outcomes or reputation is an extremely rare executive talent in any circumstance. And you know, growing up in the capital markets, and you know from business, that to have a leader who is not managing for the quarterly performance bonus is actually a true leader. Whether you like him or not, doesn't matter. Somebody who has the audacity and the courage to say, I'm going to make the right decision for me, and I'm going to get you to go along with it, is a real leader. And so what I'm seeing in his behavior across all of the actions that he's doing is actually something that I find remarkably refreshing in a leader, which is consistency. I've said many times in the 80s when I started working with congressional and, and Senate investigations and testimonies, I didn't have to agree with your ideology if I knew I could count on your integrity. Right? If I knew that I could count on who you are, I could disagree with you on almost everything and we would still go out and have dinner afterwards. Because the fellowship of integrity is something I don't have to agree with you. I just appreciate that I know who you are, where you're coming from, and I know what your position is going to be. That's amazing. I've often compared people like Sam Nunn, a senator with whom I worked, who I had a huge amount of respect, or um, Chuck Grassley, another guy. Ideologically, there's a lot about what Chuck does and doesn't believe that I, I can't, can't have much time for. But what I can tell you is 
everything I did with Chuck Grassley was a situation where he was a man of his word. I knew who he was, what he was. I knew that I could count on him to, to deliver what I expect from him. And that's a leader. We don't have many leaders anymore, Brian. And so what I see in Elon is somebody who has the courage, the audacity, and the tenacity to lead and model leadership in a way that is all too rare. And I believe, because I'm of that fundamental wiring, that agreement is not required to actually work with a constructive leader. You don't have to agree on everything. What you have to do is know how to manage inside of a world in which you may have ideological or philosophical disagreements. That doesn't mean you can't work together. And I think what what Elon's doing right now is for, in fact, the greater good. And the fact that he's standing up for freedom of speech for me as a rather verbose person is probably something I value disproportionately highly. It's been fun to watch. I'd never used his Twitter as much as my entire life. And you make a great point about Trump making this relevant. Uh, I have an academy and I used to teach, teach my students about social media and I always had to, to tell them what platforms to use. Yeah. And, you know, traditionally it had been five platforms. You probably guess what they were. It was Facebook, yeah. YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. And I always used to say, you know, Twitter's hanging on. And I remember back in the day saying the president's using it, so it still has life. But it was barely hanging on at that point. Yep. And it's a great yep. point that you made. And then they threw him off. And uh, now it's, 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 uh, I, I go there regularly because like yeah. you said, it is, it is now the news and YouTube was never yeah. going to be that. Um, and YouTube still has its own censorship issues, uh, although they are less, but that could also be temporary. Um, David, what's next for you? Well, we're still looking for the criminal prosecution. Uh, we, we have had, and by we, I mean, prosecute now as an organization, Stan Graham, John Hewlett, and I have been working on identifying uh, patients who died from the combination of the shot and the remdesivir injection. Um, the, the lethal dyad that was built by Fauci and Barrick. And we have um, about two dozen sheriffs and DAs across the country who are willing to take uh, state level action for murder, premeditated murder, reckless homicide, uh, negligent homicide, and other uh, felony crimes against the perpetrators of this whole a whole thing. Um, so we are reviewing an enormous number of very tragic cases of people who died. Uh, regrettably, at this point in time, we still don't have a match of a body in the right county. We have several uh, thousand deaths, just not in the jurisdictions where we have sheriffs and DAs ready to pursue. So we are we are still pursuing that and we will continue to do that for me that's kind of the dog to the bone i i'm not going to stop until i find that somewhere um we are continuing to do an enormous amount of education but i'm trying to educate people on antitrust laws i'm trying to educate them on the actual legal definition of of conspiracy because i think we need to reclaim the brand conspiracy and drop the word theory. Um, if we're going to have constructive conversations, we need to say that conspiracies are crimes and we need to be able to talk about them. So I'm doing a lot of that. And then I am part of a, a very interesting venture, Brian, where 
Um, there's a what's next that's coming. Um, that what's next is going to include things like food security and energy security. It's going to include potentially alternative value networks. Um, you know, I've I've been a skeptic of what people are doing, relying on digital things simply because the national telecommunications acts in the United States and their global equivalents uh, make any broadcast signal a dangerous thing to use if you want liberty, because they can be interdicted, they can be intercepted, and they can be modified legally under things like the National Telecommunications Act. So I've been a huge outspoken critic of what is the reckless pursuit of, of unthoughtful digital anything, because if you don't think about where the susceptibilities of interruption and disruption and, and misdirection um, are, are prone in that environment, then you've kind of misled the public. There's no such thing as a safe digital signal right now anywhere on this planet. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm working on a very large project right now, which is a radical uh, rethinking of how we do energy. Um, we are we are working very aggressively to rebrand the idea of what carbon is because burning carbon inefficiently with the Promethean innovation that is as old as the Greeks is probably not the best way to use carbon. And we have some technology that is radically changing what carbon can and will be as part of the future energy solution of the world. And I happen to be uh, one of the co-inventors of the enabling technology and we're building a huge business around it. So I'm doing that, um, trying to make sure that we've covered our bases so that kind of when we, when we, you know, my operating horizon is 2028, you know, and it may be maybe sooner, but it's definitely 2028 when we are going to be in a situation where the incumbent systems necessarily fail because we've built the failure into there's a use by date on the current system and and it can't get past 2028. And as such, I'd like to be part of uh, a community that says, let's build solutions so that when large scale transformation and social change happens, we're not sitting with our kind of hands behind our back going, somebody should have done something. Um, so I have a great team of amazing people, um, a global team who are getting together and saying, you know, let's not wait. Let's not wait for the crisis. Let's let's build a bunch of different arcs and let's make sure the arcs are big enough that, that it's not your family and a bunch of of animals only like build an arc big enough to be the landing zone for humanity. And the good news is there's a ton of amazing people who are rallying around this. And so I'm somewhere in the, in the leadership conversation of that particular effort. And that's what we're doing. So we're making a landing zone for humanity and, um, and we've made tons and tons of really great progress. And the best of all is I feel great about the humanity that I'm doing it for because I'm meeting amazing people all across this planet who are beautiful souls, many of whom have not had a platform or a voice that can be heard. Um, but, but the groundswell of support for a better version of humanity 
far outweighs the tyranny of the World Economic Forum, far outweighs the tyranny of the mainstream narrative, far outweighs the hijacking of the political system. And I think the best thing in the world to do in 2028 is make them all irrelevant. Yeah, why don't we do that? We have so much more power than we think we do. It's a very yeah. small group of people that are convincing us that they're large and they're not. <laughs> yeah. Do you worry about your safety, David? Not in the least. I, Should I, you? Uh, <laughs> Should you? No, I, no, it's funny. I, I, I have a number of friends, as you probably know, who are in the, you know, previous both military and intelligence and defense environments. And, and we have this conversation every now and then. You know, I'm doing what I was meant to do, Brian. And, and the best thing about doing what you're meant to do is the day you stop doing it, that's okay. You just, you did what you're meant to do. And, and I'm married to the woman I love. I have beautiful children. I have had the life experience that I've said to anybody who's willing to listen. If anybody laments my passing, whenever it happens, I'll come back and kick their ass at the funeral. Because the fact of the matter is I've lived more life than any human I've ever heard of. I've been more places. I've accomplished more things. I have just had the best possible ride on this roller coaster. So, you know, telling anybody that, oh, my gosh, it's so sad. He didn't whatever I, I did. I've done things. Brian, when I did Future Dreaming, the, the documentary, it got rated as an adult rated uh, film because one little scene in it is me jumping naked in the Antarctic Ocean below the Antarctic Circle. And I did it skinny dipping because it was the last named ocean that I hadn't swum in. So I figured, why not skinny dip in minus two degree water? You know, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could skinny dip with great whales south of the Antarctic Circle. I've done that. My bucket list doesn't exist because I couldn't come up with the list of the things that I've done. So. My view is really simple. I've lived so fully that I don't have a concern of the thing I didn't get done because I am doing stuff I never planned to do. So I'm done with the stuff I thought I would do. So that's that's good. But the other side of it is you can't take from me what I can't give you. Right. I, I see my life as part of a giant tapestry of humanity. I'm a terrible target. Because I've infected so many people with so many ideas and with so much information that all you do by by making me a target is you amplify the field effect of my voice. And I think, you know, the EU speech and other things have made it even more of a problem. You know, we don't have a long list of people. If I were untimely removed from this planet. The good news is we know the five or six organizations that did it. So it's not like we have to sit there going, I wonder if he had any enemies, right? We, we know who they are. I've named them. So the good news is start there. Um, so there's a lot about being open and transparent, but you made a really cool point. And I want to I wanna re remind people of this. You know, Klaus Schwab and Yuval Harari and Bill Gates, they are not powerful people. They only have the power illusion that we offer them. So don't. 
That's an easy answer, right? This is not a difficult proposition. If we, if we the people actually want to achieve a more perfect union, then we the people need to know it is ours to prop up the illusions of power, and it is ours to bring them down. And so is there a somebody out there that's more powerful than than, you know, me or you or anybody else? And the answer is no, we all have equivalent power. It's our perception that gives us the ability to wield that power. And like I said, the day that I'm no longer relevant, we'll all know it. And I'll be the least to care about it. It's a beautiful thing. I think stop acquiescing was the one phrase that uh, yep. David Icke imprinted on me. Stop acquiescing. That's all anyone needs to know. That's exactly right. Once that happens, it's like you can see how much power we have. Um, yep. David, you could be the most interesting man in the world. You definitely are the most interesting man in the world in a bow tie. And we very much appreciate you. you. I'll go for that. That's fine. Good. I can take that one. We very much appreciate you. Um, I love this uh, new side of you we're getting to see that was always there. Um, but now it's your movie, like you said. Yeah. So really quick, although I like his perception on things and he's got a great message, he really does. Um, however, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there no legged hooker in the philippines is where um he should be drawing his sights to and <laughs> since i've already done that fella you know what you're he, fucked he may have as well you never know that's there's there's a possibility i would there. say there's probably a good possibility there there's quite a possibility on that. Mm -hmm. however <laughs> although he has been married to his wife for a long time and he does love her oh probably as much as you love me so, so the no-legged hooker was before me so but you never know what he did in his younger days hey hey no-legged hookers in the philippines that's what you aim for either way uh was we got a girl or a guy i was definitely a girl you sure yeah i'm positive okay um i checked before we go you want to get hot no no right now no. Do we have more in there yeah okay well then yeah i mean i can't believe you said no Man. Well, we're 20 now. It's 1720. It's 430 here. So in it's 4.30 in Texas. There you go. All right. So Lindsay. Lindsay, Lindsay, Lindsay. Here it is. Um Sacolet. I don't know. Is he a knight Malta? I don't think so. I don't think no. so either. And I don't think he's in the Illuminati either. No. Again, we've met him in person. There was none of that on him. Uh-uh. He is more filled with righteous anger. Than I am. Than it, than well, it, well, it's we're kind about of, equal. It's, it's about equal, yeah. He had this burning anger inside him for everything that's been done to us from the time that we met him. I'm just saying a one a no legged hooker in the Philippines is amazing. It really is. It redefines your sex life. Tanya, you wonder about legs. Really, why did they give them to women? Griff, was he a nice guy in real life? Yes. No, he was. He was honest. Honest. And he had integrity. 
he was like me, like what you would expect from me. Meet me he, in real like, life. He wasn't like he wasn't like swarmy nice, you know. He was, he was like, you want to talk to me? Okay, fine. Talk to me. If not, I'm going to walk on. Yeah, he was He was forthright. He was, um, I got his attention because I, and this was before he came out with it, um, but I told him that, uh, I said, you know that, oh, sorry, there go the ducks. I got distracted for a second. I said, you know that um, Eco Health Alliance owns 40% of 23andMe and they've, with Peter Daszak, they've been sending our genetic material to China. And he said, yeah, how'd you know that? I said, I do, we do our research. My husband has good sources. He said, apparently, that's deep. I was like, oh yeah, that's hidden deep. But we've been putting it out there. He said, good, keep putting it out there. Um, yeah. Same. It's all a part of whatever the plan is. We just don't know what the plan is. We're all just waiting for the final curtain. And it's not man's plan. We're past that. Man's plans have been enacted. We're, we're, we're looking at God's plan right now. So. That's a country song. There's a no-legged no hooker in my truck, and I really don't give a fuck. I'm dead serious. I No, no, no. This is no bullshit. This is like, uh, you go to the Philippines, it's like one of those things you have to do. And uh, I got talked into it first time I was there. I was just like, uh, they were like, yeah, there's this no-legged hooker. She gives the most amazing blowjobs. I was like, blowjobs? It's like no-legged hooker, right? <laughs> Well, there you go. Never mind. Stop. Stop. I don't want to. Mm -mm. Nope. So, and the FBI knocks on your door. What do we tell them? Nah, bear. Nah, bear. Give him the nah, bear. <laughs> Needless to say, it wasn't a blowjob. All right, it was amazing. Nonetheless. Okay. All right, we're good. We're done. Okay. Like it wasn't Cambodia, it was just oh. freaking it's the Philippines. Give me a break. Okay. I gotcha. Oh. What? Nothing. I'm finishing it off. I you, see that. You what? Left a lot in there, so I was just mm -hmm. figured I'd kill it. Before it went bad, didn't want it to go bad. You know how that is. Can't let it burn out. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Who who does that? It's a sin. It's a fucking sin, and you know it is. So, either way, I hope that was uh, evidence enough. Thank you, Sekalak. I will check that out. Um, but regardless of his background which again, we'll check out um, further. His information is 100% verifiable. Everything he said, you can go look it you up. You can go look it up. It's there. He backs it up a thousand percent. So I hope that's proof enough for you that there was no incompetence here. There were no mistakes made. This has all been planned. 
for a very, very long time. And we're in the thick of man's plan right now, the culling. But God's calling is coming soon because he's there. You know, you, you get to a point, as I spoke about in regards to my cousin, where you just say, enough, I'm done. God's almost there with us. So we're just along for the ride. But it's not even that. You know, when you, you think about all of this and you look at what the culling could be, is man's culling really a disease? I don't think so. I think man's culling is something far worse than just a disease. Um, we have way too many nuclear weapons to play with. That's my point. That's all I'm going to say. Ask your neighbors. You guys play fireworks battles all the time in your neighborhoods. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Let's fuck up somebody else's shit with something really big and bright. And, uh, hey, we're just willing to nuke a country to do that. My point is this. When you really boil all of this shit down, one of the freest times that we've ever experienced in this country, again, I go back to this, is 1777 to 1779. Why? There was no real government. There was a government. It was limited and scarce. Americans dealt with Americans on an American level. We bartered. We did what we had to do to get by. Matter of fact, <clears throat> a lot of the laws that were first enacted by the Constitution, a lot of the Americans said, hey, what's wrong with what we're doing now? Mm -hmm. What we're doing now is working. We're, we're sustaining a country without a fixed income, without a fixed source of currency and without any of the international bullshit. When people talk to me and say, well, I'm a patriot. A lot of the times I want to believe them. I want to say, yeah, you're a patriot. But then I look at what me and V Lynn do. And if we're going to go ahead and compare penises, let's do it because we, we eat our own food. We grow our own food. Everything we do is from our house. We go out to dinner, zero. Why? Because if we go out to dinner, either I'm getting sick or she's getting sick. We're not going out to dinner. So let's talk about Patriot. And oh, by the way, people come here for dinner all the time. And they love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I always... I always make an extra couple servings. And so, if someone doesn't show up for dinner, then it's leftovers for lunch the next day. Patriot is, it's like being called a member of a certain religion. You have to show up to church so many times a year. No, no. Why? Lead by example. Why? I got to take cookies out of the oven. Just do it. You know, I hate to be like Nike, but just do it. That's really what it is. It's the difference is we're going to stand up. We're going to say, no, we're done. And what we're argue, what we argue about internally, our arguments are so minutiae. They're so petty. They're bullshit. The big difference is that we agree on the Hulk of 
what's out there. When you look at a conspiracy and you dissect a conspiracy, what parts do you agree on that I agree on that we all agree on? There are certain parts of every conspiracy we all agree on, and only we do. However, you bring somebody else from the conversation from elsewhere, they may agree to parts, but they won't agree to the same thing we all agree on. Why is that? Well, because what we're arguing about is the small details. The basic part of the conspiracy, did it actually happen? Yes. We all agree on that. If we could stop focusing on the minutia and started start focusing on what the big overlapping problems that we all share, everybody shares, period. You do, I do. We, we pay taxes. We pay taxes to where? And what does that money go to? Where, where is that money? How much money do we actually have? It's actually, it's what Dr. Martin talked about there, the future, F food security, energy security, these things that concern all of us. That we don't talk about yet. We talk about Hunter Biden and what white substance he's shoving up his fucking nose. You know, that jackass came into the chat real quick and he was like, oh, you guys like Hunter Biden laptop, Hunter Biden's laptop. Wait till you see Mark Meadows cell phone. And I'm like, dude, we're so past that. Yeah. Like that's the stupid bullshit that they use to distract us from the bigger picture. I'm sorry. You're so far behind the curve. It's two wings of the same bird. You think because our show is named the Patriot Party Podcast that we're automatically staunch Republicans and diehard Trumpers? No. If no. you knew what a real patriot was, you wouldn't understand because obviously you're too closed-minded to figure that out for yourself. Mm -hmm. I, hey, look, take it or leave it. it. It's just, it is what it is. And I got a feeling we're going to see worse. It, it's going to get worse. Because God is not going to give a shit. So I've seen videos of. Let's just go ahead and agree on that right now. God is not going to fucking care. Fresh waters flowing in the Sahara where it hasn't for years. And um, in, in the part of the Dead Sea. And then some weird red lights um, in England. Like, right, you can see them from where the crop circles normally show up, the biggest, like, crop circle area um, in Yorkshire or, or Stropshire or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's there's there's signs everywhere. Makes me think of that song. Signs, signs everywhere, the signs. You know, it's true. Barking up the scenery, breaking my mind. God is showing signs all around the world, all across the world right now. Do this, don't do that. Just look up. No, don't. Don't look up. They said don't look up. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, Get ready, y'all. All right. Well, I guess we're done then. Wiltshire. There you go. Yeah, it's going to get a lot worse. Well, then there you go. Either way, we got to get the fuck out of here. Yep. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow night, 545 for the pre-show. And you can always check out the lovely Liana at mm -hmm. 905 tomorrow morning over on the Pilled and on Rumble. She has both channels. It's 
the TNA Variety Show on Pill.net. And over on Rumble, it's Liana Wilbert's channel. And what you're looking for is the TNA Variety Show. So either way, we will be back tomorrow night, 545 for the pre-show, 6 p.m. for the regular show. And uh, yeah, till then, y'all have a great weekend. I, uh, finish it out strong. Got a couple more hours of some daylight. So enjoy. We will talk to you later, fuckers. For the Mick. And Lynn. Later. Thanks for watching, y'all. Where is? Wow. Wait, there it is. Bye, y'all. Have a great day.